Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Friday edition of The C Report. I am your host, Mr. C. I'll be joining you for the next couple of hours. And, uh, you know, we will be, uh, you know, talking some current events and news. Although, as you guys might have come to note, today is what? It is International Day here at The C Report. So we'll be covering a spot of international news. I think that you guys will enjoy most indubitably. And uh, we shall carry on. Uh, but anyhow, like I said, happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, man, my uh, my show got started uh, to a great start, actually, if you ask me. I'm sure some of you guys, uh, Aurelius, just V, sounds like she was in on it too, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, wow, okay, so... Um, I won't get into too much detail at this time. Uh, for anyone who might be out in the chat room, they might be uh, they might have seen the chat that's already uh, been populating there in the in the uh, in the in the inbox in the chat box. What would you call it? Huh? Anyhow, uh, but yeah, um, man, Aurelius, you really uh, knocked me for a loop there with that one, sir. So uh, we'll see what's up with that. Um, very very talented man you are, sir. Uh, but it, it seems like quite possibly. Um, you know, may maybe we might actually have the first line of Mr. C t-shirts. I mean, wowzers, what a way to start the show off. Thank you, my friend. So we'll see how that goes. I saw this uh, last little line here. Just everyone else has Fox Home merch. Yeah, why not? Mr. Ah, you're, you're so, you are so great, sir. Thank you so much. That would be amazing. We'll see what happens. And I'll most definitely get with you on that front too. Because uh, man, talk about. Talk about making a statement, sir. <laughs> Talk about making a statement. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's a pretty good way to start uh, start my Friday. I'd have to say, pretty good way to start my Friday. Even though my Friday started, it was a long. I mean, it was a it was a long day, but the day went by really quick today. You guys ever have those days where like uh, you're just doing things and like the time just goes, 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 goes as quick as it can. And that's uh, that's without even uh, uh, doing what you should have prioritized. <laughs> so anyhow, that's kind of how it went. Uh, but you know, all is well though. All is well though. <laughs> and uh, a, a lot of uh, indubitably, indubitably deviant. <laughs> you got some great assonance and consonants there. Consonants there, Mr. Aurelius. Uh, but yeah, so um, what was I say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, today's report really had to cram. Um, but I think I think it's going to be a worthwhile report after all. Um, as you may notice, uh, we will be talking a bit about Canada today. We're going to we're going to lay into our neighbor to the great north. Or yeah, the north of us, the great white. What is it called? The great, the north. Anyways, our northern neighbors of Canada. Uh, we're <laughs> we're gonna talk about uh, talk a little bit about what's going on up there with them. As you guys may know, they have uh, a lot of things. Uh, well, you know, 
anything outside the United States, of course, it seems like you don't get a lot of information. I know I've been singing that song for what the past uh, month now, I guess it would be. This is, I think, our fourth our fourth international episode. So, yeah, I guess that would be on a month, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, just scouring the Internet. And I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, actually. Uh, because I'm starting to uh, find, you know, like the local like types of news and report agencies that they have out there. So uh, Canada was a, a trip for a minute because uh, the past few weeks it was getting a little bit kind of hard to find it. Uh, but no, like there is a lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Now, you know, I mean, America, you know, just as it is like what the big brother of the world, the uh, the tyrannical overlord of many countries whom we've regime changed. Uh, you know, and taken over with our uh, veiled uh, threats of democracy, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, America just dominates everywhere. Like, you know, I could be looking at an Indian newspaper and there's a crap load of American news. Uh, the Canadian newspapers, interesting enough, uh, uh, you know, they I would say they're like, yeah, 25% Canadian news, 25% uh, entertainment, 25% to 30% American and sports. You know, that's basically what you would find there. A lot of stuff by way of entertainment. Of course, uh, a lot of musicians and movies come out of Canada. So I guess uh, that would stand to be reasonable. But uh, I mean, you know, it's like if you read like a hometown gazette from XYZ, you know, in whatever state in America, like, you know, you're not going to find, you know, depending on how dull the town is, I guess you could say that, right? I'm sure the news editor would call it dull. Uh, because what is it that they say in the industry? Uh, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, if it's dull, you know, like, um, then there's like, uh, not too much to talk about, you know, and, you know, that's the funny thing too, about, um, that's a funny thing, too, also about, like, uh, the whole Biden-Trump situation. Uh, like, some people said if uh, Trump stayed in office, then we'd have nothing to talk about. They're, they'd be, they were like, all of, the, uh, all of the independent patriots would just, uh, you know, shrivel up and die because they'd have nothing to, uh, to discuss because there'd be peace and, you know, there would be all of these good things happening around the world. And so uh, uh, there'd be nothing to talk about. I, I mean, me, of course, it's like, of course, there'd be a lot to talk about. Like, he hasn't even taken down the deep state, uh, like, you know, uh, full, full throttle, right? Right. And he still has to deal with, you know, uh, the, the World Bank and he still has to deal with, you know, all the communists out there. Uh, but then, of course, some people were also like, if it reads, it leads. <laughs> but then, of course, also some people would be like, um, you know, Biden wins. There's going to be nothing to talk about. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's going to be nothing to talk about. We'll have four years of laughter. Hopefully not that long. I don't know if I could sustain a laugh that long um, or, you know, like or a, a sigh of disgust anyways in regards to uh in regards to all of that but uh yeah so um you know uh yeah canada yeah that's basically what we were seeing there as we were talking about canada uh we will talk a little bit about venezuela i kind of had a feeling that this would be coming up uh because um of course they recently been having uh talks hosted by uh mexico city and um, and um, what do you call it? Uh, they're being hosted by Mexico and they're being uh, moderated by, I think, uh, well, who's it? Um, uh, it's one of the European countries. Norway? Maybe Norway? I'll have to look that up again. But either way, I mean, they, they have to have an international moderator. They have to have an international host because, as we all know, Maduro 
the uh, communist dictator down there in Venezuela. He's uh he's he's trying to uh, I guess he's trying to smooth over uh you know all of the uh, patches that he uh, put in his own quilt work uh going on uh going on uh since uh what back into what 2018 or so uh when they had those elections down there and then so we'll talk a little bit about venezuela uh tonight um as we continue our uh as we continue our examination of our neighbors most closest to us here on this side of the sphere um and uh, uh even peru also we'll bring up peru i'm kind of like uh i don't know if you guys know if you guys have noticed when we're talking about the international um community i'm kind of like uh layering you know layering information on about some of the uh, states and uh, countries that we've already talked about so uh most definitely uh we will i'll try and keep them as much to the forefront of mind so we can familiarize ourselves more with uh some of these players who we see down there like you know pedro Castillo being the communist leader over there in um, over there in Peru, um, who was elected under a whole suspicion of fraudulency, which of course that seems to be the name of the game. You know, it's it's kind of like in Venezuela. You know, like I mean, Maduro controls everything over there, and it's uh, even the elections. Uh, he even has the right to dictate when he's going to change certain elections, uh, should it be necessary. Like, uh, I mean, come on, you can't get much more dictatorial or th authoritarian than that when we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, an international dictator of sorts. So, yeah, we'll talk about that. And uh, uh, interesting little story there, uh, tracked by Heartbeat. That will have to do with the World Economic Forum, and we'll most definitely be touching on that today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, everyone's starting to show on up. Hey, Tam Growl, better lately than never. <laughs> and look at that, better lately is right there. Hey, buddy, what's going on today? We're talking about Canada today. I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about Canada. So uh, stick around, and then maybe if I make any mistakes, you're more than welcome to correct me in the chat, because I struggle a little. I mean, I struggle a lot with Canadian politics, because uh, we are going to talk about uh, a few of the proven providences and also the elections that are happening there next month. You guys are having a federal election next month. So um, I had no idea until I found out about it today. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And then please, sir, if I make any mistakes, you are more than welcome to uh, correct me in the chat. So glad to have you along. WC Cranot, my friend, good evening. And thank you for the cookie as well as you gift uh, better lately. Gifting them cookies. Uh, yeah. Snacks are always great. I always say, bring your snacks, you know, I mean, if not, if not for me, for yourself, at least so <laughs> that should be fun. That should be fun. Going to be <laughs> Aurelius says he's going to be talking smack about Canada soon. All right. And uh, let's see here. WC says, hey, 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 to hey, everyone. Hope your day was as, it was a good one. Indeed, sir. Indeed. Mine just went by super quick today, uh, to be all honest with you guys. I was like, where on earth did this time go? Yep, yep, yep. September 20th is a day. Moved up from October by Trudeau. What's up with that, Trudeau? Like, uh, anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It won't be too far long from here where we, where we will be talking about uh, Trudeau's uh, moved election. Because what did they do? They, uh, they uh, uh, dissolved uh, parliament or something like that. And so now they're going to go ahead and get that going. 
so we'll, we'll see what's up with that. Um, a real quick thanks to those who donated some gold pills last show. We had Sean Joe gifting that cookie, uh, D Patriot 1776 also uh, donating to the show with much thanks. Just V, some shades, uh, Tam Growl with the cookie, uh, Ohio Kimmy with the cookie. I tell you, you guys keep my cookie jar full. So I thank you very much. Uh, Uper Viking also with the can in there. Carrie Lake, it was good to see Carrie Lake again. I hadn't seen Carrie Lake in a minute. Belushi also throwing in, tossing a cookie. That's always a, a great thing. To tossing cookies, guys, is a fun thing. You know, it's a, it's a fun thing. Navy Vet gifting a cookie, one, two, three, SKG with that can. Uh, Navy Vet and uh, Carrie Lake also sending more gold pills as well. Um, and always a great thanks to you guys. So you're going to see where that's going to go. Like all of that goes back into the show right now. I'll probably be using my good gold pills to... Uh, Secure my way to uh, Las Vegas, because that's going to be the name of the game from here on out. Um, 123SKG also with another uh, gift of a can. And what else we have? Uper Viking with a can as well. Uh, we had a pretty interesting show yesterday. It was a pretty good show, I would, ha I would have to say myself. Um, let's see here. They've been pretty, pretty spot on. Now, if you guys noticed, we're not going to talk about Afghanistan today. <laughs> okay. We've talked our heads off about Afghanistan and uh, I didn't really pay too much attention to uh, the national headlines here in the States today. Actually, I didn't, I did not even have an um, inch of time to take a look at what was going on. Cause I know what they had talked about. Uh, they talked about the, um, Senate uh, report on the audit uh, being uh, released today. Well, I mean, I, I believe it was delivered, but I don't think, uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't have suspected that, you know, we, the American public, would be privy to that information on this day, uh, you know, the uh, 20th of August, a Friday in the year 2021, right? Uh, so I'm sure we'll hear something about it soon, um, hopefully sooner than later, though, uh, and we'll see what happens. Like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, in, in the entire uh, in the entire spectrum of everything that's going on in Afghanistan, uh, if we were going to talk about it today, um, I probably would have focused on all the other countries that are, you know, rescuing their people. And yet somehow Americans uh, are not able to uh, have that relief uh, um, and be saved uh, by this bunk administration. And uh, I don't know, maybe we can talk about it tonight uh uh during mr c in the dark um about just you know the how it's really how it really seems to be a setup but you know i mean i only know what i know and i only know what i have said uh it'd be interesting to hear everyone else's point of view we'll see uh how that will go um well i mean we will probably have the phone lines open or the phone lines open right we'll have the stream lines open at some point tonight most likely um i was actually uh talking with miss book nook uh so she may be on tonight actually uh tonight for the uh, show so if um if any of you all are most interested we'll catch that combo with book nook dearie and uh i'll just uh, i'll i'll confirm that later on but just as by way of a heads up and a preview indeed ladies and gentlemen uh we may have book nook with us tonight on mr c in the dark so that should be a fantastic conversation very sweet um, Hodges Allison 1969, uh, a, a new one to the C chats uh, as of um, Wednesday, I think. Gifting a can. Rapture ready also with a cookie. Very, very nice. Um, always cool to have new peeps in the chats. Love the way you guys take care of everyone. And WC threw that ship in there to hide my cookies in. Thank you, WC. You are most definitely a great individual, my friend. 
And I will get with you, my friend, also on uh, on Las Vegas plans. Now, people will be like, Las Vegas. Of course, if you're in the community, you know we're talking about the Patriot Double Down. <laughs> it's happening in October. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're not just going to go off on a wild weekend in Las Vegas and, uh, you know, do all the, the simple things that people tend to do over there in Las Vegas. But, you know... Um, it should be a fun time, but I will be in touch with you, sir. I haven't checked my emails yet, just in case you were wondering. Uh, so I will I will get to those most definitely. Let's see what do we got here. Um, I believe Australia and France is a test run for the rest of us. Connie Ketchup, so sayeth. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, may, you know, that's a good point. Like, because uh, you know, of course, of all the crown colonies, I mean, Australia seems to be the one where they uh, they really lay into uh, their people harder than others right and then france so i mean i would i would say maybe australia is the testing ground for them to figure out how to um how to mobilize you know how to move everything how to get it going right and then in france that's just their testing ground for like uh opposition right because if anyone's gonna protest and raise a stink it is a frenchman right i mean because they tend they tend to be pretty good about protesting I mean, and yet they are where they are, right? Yet they are where they are. But they, they tend to be a very vocal, rowdy crowd when it comes to protesting. Like, they are very dedicated to their protests, you know? Uh, I mean, you know, the French had their guillotines and, you know, they had their, uh, their let-them-eat-cake riots. Uh, they've, uh, they've taken their uh, royalty, uh, um, dic royal dictators to task in the past. So uh, I always thought, you know, when it comes to protests, you could probably learn something from the French. But uh, so, you know, yeah, maybe that is the case. Uh, they use France as a testing ground to see uh, see how they're going to combat the opposition protests. And they use Australia to practice on how to roll it out on a, uh, a, a submissive, subservient citizenship. I don't know. I don't know. Good ideas, though. Joy for Trump. How's it going, sweetie? Working and a lurking. Uh, Better Lately says, unfortunately, elections are bought and paid for in eastern Canada. I'm in the West. Election is over by the time we go to vote. Dang, boy. <laughs> See, that's interesting information to have Better Lately. Like, um, what could they do? In, I mean, can anything be done in Canada? Like, is there any, like, I was like reading some of these articles, I was seeing like all these parties, like the new Democrats and like, you know, like what else do they, they had about the progressive, uh, the progressive conservatives, the new Democrats. I was like, man, I was like, they're, uh, I was like, their, their, their political teams sound like comic book titles. Like, you know, like they're superheroes or something like that. Uh, and, uh, and indeed a lot of, you know, heroes in comic books come out of canada but like um i was like I, the whole time i was thinking like is there any party over there are there any politicians that you know the canadians could look to to stand up or is is canada just that gone that we don't even care about it anymore and we just let them do whatever they want you know like um but i don't know because i don't know i don't know how uh i don't know how um you know the canadian government reacts and reacts to and or um, um, changes for uh, like say for an electorate that protests so because I mean we see a lot of protests in Canada uh, there are a lot of people out there who have um, you know that fire in their soul and they want their freedom just as we should you know just as we are entitled to I'd say if we're going to be entitled to anything it is our freedom right it is it is the actual you know nature of liberty 
that we as humans should be entitled to, if we want to feel entitled to something, you know, that's going to be that, right? And so we see people from Canada like that, but it doesn't seem, at least from um, a United States perspective, that the Canadian government ever honors it. It seems like they just keep doing whatever they want to do. So I'm like, is Canada just that far gone? Or I don't know, but we'll talk about Canada in just a sec, guys, once we hop into uh, the headlines, the reports for today in our international episode. It's our fourth one. Um, let's see here. Uh, what else we got going on? <laughs> um, uh, who, Who's his opposition? Are we talking about Trudeau? It doesn't seem like he has any opposition, at least from um, at least from conservatives. Uh, I think uh, in some of the articles I read, and correct me if I'm wrong better lately, uh, but it seems like in in uh, the articles I read that they're more concerned that a small liberal party or Democrat party, I guess, I don't know, would actually win, uh, but nothing nothing to do with <laughs> nothing to do with the conservative like and and even the conservative party over there, they're called the progressive conservatives. At least one of them is. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of different parties over there apparently. And um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the article I was reading about the progressive conservatives said that they went really more progressive than they went conservative, vowing to outspend the liberals in Canada. <laughs> I was like, dang, man, they are poor Canada. Uh, let's see here. Connie Ketchup says, Mr. C, no, not protests. They are done with that. Uh, most are locked down. They are taking, uh, they are they are tackling and hurting people on the streets. I don't know exactly. Actually, we are gonna we actually are gonna take a quick visit to France at the end of the show today, and I have a video um, to play about the protests. They are in their fifth week of protests since they uh, rolled out this uh, vaccine um, passport over in Canada. I mean, over in in, Paris, in France. Uh, so we'll talk about that because uh, the French are still protesting. Uh, they are still protesting. Um, that is for a fact, uh, but we'll talk about that today a little bit later. Um, let's see here. WC, do you not know what a cuck is? <laughs> uh, better lately, you can explain that to him offline. Ask. <laughs> you can you can slide into his DMs and, and give him a, a prime example of what a cuck is. Uh, let me see here. Oh, there maybe maybe he will be telling him now. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, what part of Australia? Uh, what part of Australia, but they have COVID no-go zones, COVID tents in front of house. Uh, the military already came in. They're very, very mean. Yeah, you know, it was like a few weeks ago, Connie, that I had seen uh, a video where there were like, uh, you know, maskless, uh, you know, football players in uh, the local park there. And they had like police choppers that were like, you need to disperse immediately. You need to disperse immediately and like, or you will be fined. And apparently they have the military even there, like, you know, ready to either find them or arrest them uh, for not wearing masks. Um, I think New Zealand is, uh, is, and I know that's not Australia, obviously proper, uh, but New Zealand has actually come under a lot more, it seems like a lot more of these uh, draconian, measures um, against their people in regards to uh, forcing them, you know, and even in France, like I said, we're going to talk about France in a little bit well, towards the end, but even in France, like I was seeing videos of people who were not being allowed to enter into a grocery store because they did not have their vaccine passports. So that is, that is very scary. And it's that, that is the reality they are facing. Like if you ever wondered or ever thought like, 
you know, I just think about the police officers who are manning that door because they had armed guards, like armed police. I'm sure they were they were officers, right? They weren't just like, you know, mercenary uh, security agents or whatever. But like, um, you know, I always wonder about like what at what point do those guys who are who are keeping people from getting food okay, who are keeping people from getting food at a local grocery, they cannot even go food shopping, right? Um, are they going to say this is this is really bad, like enough is enough? Like, I mean, we've seen images in France of the police siding with the people, putting down their helmets, walking with them in solidarity, etc. But I mean, do they just hire a new force of, of you know, um, uh, what do you call it? A type of uh, individuals, you know, like sociopaths and egotists and narcissists, and just pay them a lot of money, and and then they go and do that because I would I would think immediately, uh, but of course we Americans uh, see things differently. At least uh, the ones who are awake, um, that I'd be like, no, I'm not going to go do that. Why am I going to keep people from going into a store to get food? Like it's insane. Uh, but you know, I guess we'll have to see how that happens. Um, in the end for them, you know, but yeah, I mean, uh, if, you, if you're going to get, if you're going to get a, a, a citizenry riled up, uh, there's no place like France for that. Like those guys go crazy over there and, and they're dedicated. They will show up every Saturday <laughs> and they will run amok, um, without, you know, you know, looting and stuff like that. Uh, Nat Hendy says, right now, our best hope is to at least get Trudy out in Alberta. Indeed, we will talk about Trudy. <laughs> we'll talk about Trudy. Uh, I had this uh, read this article about Nova Scotia and they were only, I mean, I don't know how much that would affect like a federal, you know, a federal um election there in Canada, but they were afraid because I think they said, I think that's where I had read that the progressive conservatives beat the liberals was in Nova Scotia. And they just had like, I guess, uh, a provincial election, election um, a month ago. And, and now, you know, they're supposed to have their, their, their jet, their federal election, uh, which is, I guess, you know, where they vote for their, what, they vote for, I guess, uh, who would be considered synonymous with our, our congressmen and our senators. Uh, so they vote for their, their, whatever they're called. I mean, I have it in my notes, but, but the federal elections are synonymous, uh, with voting for your, uh, your representatives and your senators over there. So, uh, and so they have that in October, but, uh, uh Trudeau moved it up to September 20th, which is a, a month from today. And so, um, and so, uh, you know, the people, people were worrying about Nova Scotia for some reason, because apparently, you know, uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't quite make it uh, uh, as far as the libs are concerned in Canada. But even then, you know, I would really have to do some research on the political parties in Canada, because there seems to be quite a few of them. And they all seem to like some of them seem to like interweave into each other. And like, it's like, it's like, we're liberal, but not as liberal as that party or something like that. Or we're conservative, but we're still a little bit progressive. It's just it's interesting. You are an interesting beast, Canada. Like, um, <laughs> have any of you guys ever seen that movie Nightbreed? Okay. <laughs> Is that movie Nightbreed? I was like, I mean, I know Nightbreed, they're like, you know, they're Morlocks from ancient times, but I was always like, that's Canada. Like, cause it was filmed there anyways. But like, I was like, they do experiments on their people. And like, I'm like, they did experiments on their political bodies. Like <laughs> all the political parties, they seem to be like Frankenstein, Frankenstein creatures. 
no offense to Canadians, but like, and you know, better lately, you hanging in there, I see you. Uh, sorry for the raisins and the crumbs. Sorry for the apology as well. Did he stop apologizing? Yeah, you're just such a good Canadian. And uh, I'll, I'll take the raisins as long as they are not rabbit raisins. <laughs> Uh, let me see what else. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was another. There was another comment here from Better Lately. Uh, he says all political parties are bought and paid for. Just rotating controlled opposition. Trudeau has been groomed for this time, right? But what are the people of Canada doing? Or does do do they care? Like, I mean, I know, I know we have our Canadian friends here on the Foxhole app, like Better Lately, uh, Canadian Patriot Seventeen, and Bruce Banner and uh, Book Nook. And a handful of other ones uh, that that I, don't come to the top of my mind right now. And we know that they're fighting the fine fight. We know that they're standing up for uh, human rights and constitutional rights and free speech and everything else. But but what about the rest of Canada? Like what? Like I don't know. It seemed like some of it seemed like some of the information might have been suppressed when I was going through some of those articles today. And I was going through a whole bunch of different journals. Also, and it was like I said earlier, like 20, 30, 40, 50 percent of it was like, you know, entertainment and sports and American news and, and not a whole lot of uh, other stuff going on there. But maybe there's just not a lot of news happening in Canada. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. What else do we got in the chat today? Hope you guys are having a great Friday, by the way. Oh, yeah. Before I forget, uh, uh, we will be doing uh, three shows tomorrow. Woo! Tomorrow's going to be quite a day. Uh, we're going to have Lone Star News approximately at 4 p.m. Central Time. Maybe we should do it at 3 p.m. So I have enough time to catch a dinner before President Trump's rally in Alabama. Uh, we're also going to do a watch party televised of um, uh, the Alabama rally for President Trump. Um, I believe he's going on about 7 o'clock. Probably it'll be 8 o'clock. Uh, but we'll probably go live about 6 p.m. Central Time tomorrow for any of you guys who'd like to join us. Bring your snacks, bring your drinks, uh, sit back and relax and hang out with the family. We'll be having a good time here, I promise. And then, of course, we will be doing Mr. Seeing the Dark at midnight. So it's going to be a full night. And probably we'll be we'll just be having like a, a Trump after party for Mr. Seeing the Dark. And uh, just like we'll be doing the Trump pep rally before he goes on and gives his speech at 6 p.m. So it should be a good time. Anyways, before I forget, I thought I should let you all know. Um, let's see here. France, for now, is not allowed to go shop in stores. Yeah. No, they're not. You have to have a vaccine passport in France. Like, they went they went full Monty on them. Like, uh, they, they, uh, they did it. They were really easy about it for a week. And then after that, bam! It was, they were off. They were off the charts. And so, yeah, now you got your police officers. You got fines. They're asking, they're actively asking to show your papers, which is just insane. I don't see that happening here in America. Like, you know, I see that they're trying. I see that the, the, uh, I see that the, uh, East coast and West coast, they're already installing that stuff and putting up with it. But I just, I don't see it getting into middle America. Yeah. I don't see it getting into flyover country, but I guess, you know, stranger things have happened, right? Uh, right, uh, Mr. C, today they started taking supplies to people locked in their houses. If you go out, they find you, and the first was a fine for going outside. Yeah, I mean, uh, how much longer do you guys think the French are going to put up with this? Are you talking about Australia, right, Connie Ketchup? 
I'm I'm of the mind that uh, Australians will put up with this. I mean, you know, they they are just going to put up with it. They are going to put up with it. Um, let's see here. Um, oh, oh, wow. So we are not getting video from New Zealand. Yeah, I don't have video from New Zealand. Uh, actually, I'm not even touching on, I'm not even doing a report uh, on New Zealand today. Um, I, I just saw a lot of, is, of the things are just what I saw when I was going through the headlines uh, this afternoon. Uh, but yeah, I know with the New Zealand, right? They're, they're going into hard lockdowns. Like, what, weren't they the ones that released that video is like, you can no longer, you know, take off your mask to drink alcohol. You can no longer take off your mask to chew food. You know, that kind of thing. Like they're going into a hard lockdown over there. Very hard. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, I think I have the I have the link for that page on the CDC if you want and you can look later. Yeah, for sure. Connie Ketchup, if you can drop that in, I will catch it and much appreciate it, man. Ma'am. The WEF will take over satellites in near future. We do not have time to mess around. Tam Grau saith, yes, uh, the World Economic Forum. We are going to talk about them a little bit later. In fact, they're the ones that will be discussing this tracked by heartbeat story that I have there in the headline for you guys. Because apparently the masks have gotten in the way of a facial recognition technology. So now they want to track us by our heartbeats. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um... W.C. Cranop says, Daniel Estulin book, The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, goes into it with 1983. Hey, hey, hey. Brian Mulroney. Ah, yes. Daniel Estulin. You guys always drop so much valuable information in the chat. I love it. Um, let's see here. Hey, Rapture Eddie, how's it going? Come on in. Make yourself comfy. Keep in mind, these are Satanists running our world everywhere. It's Freemasons, Satanists. They've been doing it for 2,000 years. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, you know, sometimes that entire idea slips the mind. Uh, but, I mean, indeed, it's true. Um, I mean, I believe it. You know, I definitely believe that. Uh, talk about, you know, this world belonging to the devil. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, what are the what are the odds that everyone in a, uh, you know, an important place of power or an important place of decision happen to be Satanists, guys? Like, what are the odds that that's the way it ended up working out? It's like you don't ever see any Satanists except for like, I don't know, the 1000 of them that run this world. Like, you know, like that pull the gears and levers. It's interesting. Um, where is Dudley do right when we need him says one, two, three, SKG. How's it going? One, two, three. How's it going? Uh, Nat Hendy says, no schools still require masks in Alberta till the end of September. And the end of September is coming quick. Um, let's see. Uh, but yes, maskless except for public transport, doctor's offices for the most part. Yeah, the masks uh, seem to be uh, subsiding, like especially in all of the stories I was reading. The main, the main niche there, the hinge, is that uh, they're not going to go back into a lockdown as long as you have your vaccine passport. And so that has already arrived in Canada. Um, and so we will talk about that most definitely. Uh, WC Cranop, you go ahead and you drop that link, my friend. You are more than welcome to. And, you know, you don't have to ask, but I appreciate you. I appreciate you asking, though. Um, let's see here. You can do whatever you want, my friend. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Uh, MSM hasn't touched the vicious jabbing going on overseas and the deaths. You know, I mean, did any of you guys hear stories about uh, uh, like 
vicious jabbing going on in Israel. Like on the serious though, like, because I had heard stories, you know, that they were forcibly vaccinating people. Like we're talking about like that video that we saw with, uh, with that one lady, the grandma, and I think it was in China or something like that, that she was trying and crying to get away from them. And they kept on, they, 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 they forcefully vaccinated her. And, uh, you know, I had heard that they were pulling people out of like, they were knocking on doors and pulling people out of their house and like holding them down. And I heard that that's how. Uh, Israel became the first nation to get at least 80% of its population vaccinated. But I could never find anything on it. So, I mean, for all I know, it was just a story created by some anti-Semite. Because <laughs> Lord knows them Khazarians don't want you to know the truth. So they're going to hide behind that shield, right, of, of racism and, and xenophobia. Um, but that's what I had heard, you know. Um, are you looking into Fort Bliss for Lone Star News, says 123SKG? Uh, no. Uh, what is going on with Fort Bliss? Do tell. Or, you know, I'll, t- I'll just uh, take a note on that and uh, maybe maybe dig into that. You know, I, I pull articles throughout the week for upcoming shows. Um, so Fort Bliss has not crossed my news desk <laughs> nor my radar. So that should be interesting. Uh, interesting, interesting taste. And Fort Bliss. There you go. All right. I'll save that one for later. Let's see. Neighborhood level five to ten family camps. Oh, that's terrible. See, remember on when was it Monday? Uh, I uh, showed you like because we were already talking about how, you know, the DHS uh, had issued those uh, terrorist threats uh, uh, against, you know, people who were you know, opposing um, um, the, the 2020 election or, you know, who did not align with, uh, you know, the federal government in regards to vaccines and stuff like that. And, that, and then we talked about how the National Guard um, was uh, hiring people to uh, basically work in internment camps. And there was a good there's a whole there was a whole sprinkling of ideas on uh, on exactly who would be held in those internment camps. But look at that, like, you know, internment camps. I mean, uh, someone had thrown into the chat. Do you think that maybe they're using those internment camps for to, they were called re-education, rehabilitation internment camps? Do you think they're using them for the illegal immigrants? And I was kind of like, well, they probably would have put them in there already if that's what they were going to be for. Nah, I really don't think they would use them on the illegal immigrants. I, I honestly get the sense that it's for something else, someone else, another group. Is it for, is it going to be for the, uh, is it going to be for the, uh, the globalists and the black cats who will be arrested for all of their crimes against humanity? Or is it going to be for uh, patriots and Americans uh, who do not align with, uh, you know, the way they want the world to be? I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, we will see. We will see. Um, just real quick, uh, Tam Girl says, I watch walkabouts in Israel. Uh, it's open, busy, no masks noted, but who knows? Well, I mean, they, you know, as of, if, if, if those are recent uh, walkabouts in Israel, yeah, they don't have to wear masks because 80% of their population has, has the jab. Uh, whether that was forced or voluntary at this point, we don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, that is exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wait. Fort Bliss will be taking 10,000. Oh, no. Seriously? Fort Bliss is taking in 10,000 Afghan refugees. Joy to the world. 
you know, all of them unvetted, all of them with their COVID stuff waived. I know it sounds hypocritical for someone, uh, someone like us to be like, oh, well, they don't have to get uh, vetted for COVID. They don't have to get the vaccines, blah, 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 blah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, you know, like they're going to be using uh, them as an excuse to blame the rest of Texas. You know, for, I mean, the only reason why Texas's numbers in COVID are going up is because of illegal immigrants and because everyone else here that already took their jabs, they're, they're the ones who are sick and dying from the jabs and, and spreading it to other people. Anyways, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> okay, let's get into today's report. As always, President Trump leads at the Sea Report. And uh, yeah, we have a few statements from him. Now, uh, like I said, we've talked a little bit. We've we've spoken uh, at short about Afghanistan and uh, we're not going to talk about it pretty much anymore for the rest of the evening. But for what President Trump has to say. So uh, in his statements, yes, indeed, he does have some uh, some things to say about Afghanistan. The first one being leaving Americans behind for death is an unforgivable dereliction of duty which will go down in infamy. Yeah, and I don't see how uh, this illegitimate Joe doesn't get that. Like, um, I guess he really, you know, I guess when they say he really does not care about America, boy, did he let that truth shine in this incident, whether manufactured or whether organic, this entire flop up of uh, what's going on in Afghanistan, he indeed showed his true colors, like Cindy Lauper style, uh, when he just doesn't give a damn. And, you know, and that's because, you know, it's like, A, he just either does not care. And, you know, uh, that is very easy to believe. Or B, he has his handlers telling him to do it and he does not have enough backbone. I mean, we've seen the way he walks, right? Uh, to to say, no, we will save those Americans. Uh, but instead, you know, he issues these very lame statements. And, uh, and, you know, at least he's not making false promises, right? I mean, at least he's being honest. Can we thank him for that? Not really. I mean, because he's he's not doing anything that he should be doing, and he definitely is not showing or exemplifying uh, love and honor and value of American life, um, and especially for those who may have protected us. But then again, I mean, the other side to that coin is how many of those people were just working for the beat state? <laughs> and they're like, oh, my goodness, we've been part of this regime change in Afghanistan and uh, the people want their land back. And now we have to get out of here. Um, but I guess that's a story for another day. All right. Next statement from President Trump is an endorsement. He is endorsing this man. His name is Jonathan Lindsay. Okay. Now, uh, Jonathan Lindsay, oh, this is uh, from President Trump's statements. Jonathan Lindsay, who is running for state senator in Michigan, was born and raised in the 16th district. He is a Yale graduate and the son-in-law of the great Art Laffer, President Ronald Reagan's chief economist. As a special forces veteran, Jonathan totally supports our military, veterans, and law enforcement. He is tough on election integrity, crime, pro-life, and will always protect our Second Amendment. We need a warrior like Jonathan Lindsay to uphold our America First agenda. Jonathan has my complete and total endorsement. So he is running for Senate in the state of Michigan. Very, very good. Very good. Very good. New name, new face. Never heard of Jonathan Lindsay before. 
But that is who he is. All right. Uh, next statement from President Trump. Afghanistan is under Biden. Oh, wait. Afghanistan under Biden. Uh, we all know he is. They are. No. Anyways. Okay. Afghanistan under Biden was not a withdrawal. It was a surrender. We, he, will he apologize for the greatest tactical mistake in history? Pulling the military out before our citizens? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, who is he taking his bad advice from? Right, President? Select? Biden? And final statement from President Trump is one that seems like it would be a victory, right? It's kind of like a, one of those in-your-face moments. <laughs> Trending on Twitter today, Trump was right. Trump was right. Trump was right. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So, uh, you know, to just... It's, it's hilarious the way that works out when it comes to President Trump, because it's like they might have censored him, they might have blackballed him, they might have banned him, and yet he still comes out and he has all these public statements and he's just, you know, a thorn in their side, a hemorrhoid on their bun, you know, and uh, <laughs> they just cannot get away from him. But uh, gotta love it when they start, gotta love it when they start using their own, uh, their own technology and machinery against them funny stuff. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure that was organic too, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, they don't make bots for Trump. That's for dang sure. So anyhow, guys, all right, let's see what's up here. Okay. And all right, that was the final statement from President Trump. Do not forget, he will be live tomorrow from Alabama. And we will be featuring him here at the Sea Report. So you know, Fox hop in if you'd like. Sit back a spell, bring your drinks, bring your snacks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to take us into our um, into our uh, report for today, our international news report, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we are glad to have you here. Just a real quick, Ohio Kimmy, hello, hello, Philly Q, good evening. Welcome, welcome, Deborah Erdman, how's it going? And welcome, welcome, you're just in time for the report, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so we're going to start with Canada today. We've, uh, we've had three, uh, three, uh, three episodes of our international report. Uh, we've scantily touched our neighbors to the north. Um, we did a quick story on them last week in regards to how, um, who was this? Uh, um, uh, Quebec. Quebec was going to be the first province to start initiating uh, the uh, mandatory vaccine passports, right? Seems to be, I remember a time when I spoke with a friendly Canadian uh, who just did not uh, adamantly oppose the entire idea that this was going to be true. And boy, howdy, here it is, right? Well, let's see uh, what we have here for you guys. It says uh, Canada is to issue vaccine passports for international travel. So uh, this is going to focus mostly on the entire COVID thing. Now, the immigration minister, his name is Marco Mendocino, announced on Wednesday that fully vaccinated Canadians will soon be able to get a government document certifying that they have had the COVID-19 jab. Um, and uh, it will also show the history of their COVID-19 um, submissiveness, I guess we'll call it that for now, right? The federal, federal government of Canada says it's working with international partners to recognize, um, to recognize proof of vaccine credentials issued in Canada. So um, 
you know, the, you know, the, again, the Canadian government, uh, uh, one of the crown jewels, right? Crown colonies, they most definitely are, are all for whatever the globalists want. I mean, that's no mystery to anyone in the chat or anyone abroad. Uh, when we're talking about the country of Canada, uh, I mean, who knows, guys, what really goes on up there in that state. But yeah, so not only are they going to require, and you know, I guess this is not something that is so far-fetched, like, uh, you know, when we're talking about COVID and international travel and how a lot of it had been shut down and there's a lot of these regulations, uh, but, but they are going to be working with international partners, most likely to try and secure, you know, to get the cooperation and the cooperation of other countries uh, to try and lock down their citizenry within their borders uh, so they're going to try and get that uh, to happen. So I guess, you know, they can keep international travel pa uh, possible. You know, it, it reminds me of that one lady, that one, I can't remember her name, but she's she's that one Asian lady that comes out on, on CNN quite regularly. And she's like, we need to get everyone vaccinated. We need to make life harder for those who are not vaccinated. Uh, you know, we need vaccinated people to be the new normal like that. Like uh, it just it goes back to that, guys. Like I'm pretty sure this entire COVID story did not happen the way that they had it in their minds. Right. Like they did not like they were probably planning to roll out all these variants and everything like that from the jump. Right. But um, the whole point was to get us to here. We're almost, I think we're almost to the point that they wanted us to, to get to, which is vaccine passports, show your papers and everyone vaccinated. Um, and, and then eventually digitizing all of that. Cause these are already coming out digitized. You know, you can download an app on your phone for ease of e or convenience of imposition, right? Uh, what a, what an oxymoron convenience of imposition. Um, uh, so this way, you know, it, you can conveniently be imposed upon by these authoritarian, you know, regimes and stuff like that. Uh, so anyways, um, yeah, this part of where they want us to get, you know, really what I'm waiting for guys is I'm waiting for them to like push a button. And when they push that button, like, I don't know, some kind of energy surges on the planet and everyone who gets vaccinated just falls like just, they just drop. Right. And that's why they need, you know, 80% of the population to be vaccinated, because once they do that, you know, there's not that there's not a huge percentage left of people who will fight against them. I don't know, guys, I just bounced off into some scientific science fiction story right now, just for a moment. I apologize. Uh <laughs> I'll save it for tonight. Anyways, okay. Uh, let's see. Here's a statement from the government of Canada in regards to these vaccine passports. For Canadians who decide to travel using a proof of vaccination will provide foreign border officials with the vaccinated nation history needed to assess whether a traveler meets their public health requirements and provide a trusted and verifiable credential for when they return home. Canadians who do not have a proof of vaccination can travel outside the country, but they may have to quarantine or meet other requirements at their destination country. And they will be subject to mandatory quarantine and testing upon return to Canada. Travelers will be able to submit their proof of vaccination in ArriveCan. Arrive Can, a mobile app, or you go to Canada.ca slash ArriveCan. And uh, uh, you will have to um, you will have to submit that proof when you come back to Canada. Uh, 
While the focus is on a digital proof of vaccination, we will also make sure that these documents are accessible for all Canadians who may need to use them. So it's it's most convenient for us to impose our will upon you, my fair citizens of Canada. Uh, so the federal government said that it's working with provinces, not just not just internationally and international friends, but also with provinces and territories to de develop a secure pan-Canadian approach. So they're talking about uh, they're talking about international travel. They're talking about international vaccine passports for Canada. Well, it's going to go a little bit more deep than that. We're going to talk about they're going to be doing this for uh, interprovincial travel, right? Uh, interstate, interprovincial between the provinces in Canada. They're also going to issue be issuing these uh, uh, vaccine passports. Shall they be mandated? Wait, we'll find out. Uh, now, as we mentioned last week, Co Quebec introduced a provincial passport. Um, and that will be effective on September 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Manitoba has a vaccine card that is either digital or on paper, which provides proof of vaccination. So these are some of the other uh, provinces there or territories in Canada. And then uh, the Prince Edward Island has a vaccine passport pass called PEI Pass. And Ontario and Alberta have both said they will not provide provincial pa vaccine passports. So Ontario and Alberta, it looks like, may be bucking the tide here a little bit in Canada. Could those be the two savior patriot states of Canada? I don't know, because I don't live there. But uh, they they both have said that they will not provide provincial vaccine passports. So maybe they'll provide vaccine passports for international travel. But at this, at this point, it looks like Ontario and Alberta will not be requiring their citizens to have vaccine passports to travel between provinces, okay? Um, so let's talk a little bit about these provincial uh, vaccine passports. Now, it's uh, Canada is to introduce vaccine passports for crossing provincial borders. That would be going between, you know, different uh, different types of uh, provinces and territories there in Canada. Uh, province is such a hard word to say, provincial. <laughs> Can't we just call them states? Hey, Deplora Laura, what's going on over there on Twitch? Good to see you, man. We're having our international episode. All right, so let's see what this uh, article has to say. It says, uh, Canada's Minister for Transport, a man by the name of Omar Al-Gabra, announced the introduction of vaccine passports for transport across provincial borders, borders via planes, trains, and automobiles. No, just kidding. Planes, trains, and large water vessels. Uh, the move is uh, part of the growing adaptation of digital vaccine passports across the globe. But of course, we're seeing it happen in uh, mostly in developed countries. Uh, but I mean, no, 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 uh, no joke or I guess no wonder that they would be doing this in Canada. Right. Um, no wonder that they would be doing this in Canada. After all, they are still a crown colony. Uh, the move uh, for those who cannot get the, the jab, the minister said that they will be able to travel by showing proof of recent negative tests. So, you know, if you don't get your vaccine, you have to show them a negative test. So that's also, oh, that's such an imposition, right? Like we're seeing that happen for people who are working right now. People are getting uh, getting put under the stress of taking a weekly COVID test getting something jammed up their nose or other orifice, I guess, if you're in China, right? Um, but, uh, I mean, another another inconvenient imposition uh, that's being laid upon the people. 
Now, this uh, this transport minister, Al Gabra, said that the government was looking into practical ways to implement the vaccine passes as quickly as possible, right? Algebra's announcement coincided with an announcement from the Privy Council that the government would be mandating vaccinations for federal employees. That's another thing that we're seeing happening over there. We're seeing that here in the States too, right? The employees will be required to show proof of having received both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. So this thing is everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but you know what, what right now, uh, these vaccine passports are being held at the coasts, the West and the East coast of this country. So we're not seeing them come in here and swoop down with all this authoritarian hoo-ha just yet. Um, but of course, that does not mean that it won't get here. Um, not wishing on it, not speaking it into life. But hey, if you see a tornado coming, please let me know. So uh, that's the wrap there on what's going on with these vaccine passports. Let's take a look at them per province. Oh, man, I was supposed to show that to you guys a long time ago. Look at that vaccine passports. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's talk about Quebec because we mentioned her last week. Now, Quebec has mandatory vaccine passports. Um, let's see, see here. Um, now, um, healthcare workers are required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 by October 1st. So saith Premier Francois Legault, right? While 90% of healthcare workers in the province are already vaccinated, Legault wants that remaining 10 holdout, 10% holdout to, uh, to get vaccinated. Because of course, as they say, it's a risk to their patients, all right? Uh, the mandate will apply to any healthcare worker who enters into contact with patients for more than 15 minutes at a time, including nurses, doctors, and ambulance workers, and it will apply to both private sector and public sector employees. Okay, but now in regards to, uh, oh, is this the, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by September 1, they have to have one dose, and by October 1, they have to have their second dose. They haven't decided on what penalties they will inflict upon those who decide to remain unvaccinated. Um, and uh, they, they, but they are going to have that starting as soon as next week, according to this article, came out uh, just uh, two days ago. The premier said that he is, no, wait, wait, wait. other public sector workers, such as teachers and bureaucrats, are not targeted by the vaccine mandate. But Legault said the consultation will also include discussions on whether to extend the vaccination requirement beyond healthcare workers. And the government will also require people to show proof of vaccination starting September 1. So here we go. There's your vaccine passports starting September 1. You have to show proof of vaccination before they can enter places, including bars, restaurants, and festivals. That's right. If you want the privilege of a normal life, just like you remember from a year and a half ago, you have to show your papers. Um, since April, Quebec has required unvaccinated healthcare workers to be tested for COVID-19 three times a week, three times a week, and symptoms don't show for two weeks. That's insane. That's, that's just overkill, if you ask me. That is most definitely overkill. Uh, my goodness. That's terrible. Um, but anyhow, so uh, let's see here. Um, the government is considering integrating its passport system with the federal government's ArriveCan smartphone application. Okay, so the ArriveCan, again, applications for the smartphone, that is where uh, that is where they show, you know, that they've been vaccinated. So uh, the government is considering integrating their passport system with that. So this way, you know, you will have to show your papers all around. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, officer, I don't have that app. 
oh, well, you have your passport. It's part of that now. It'll be easily accessible to the government. That's terrible. Um, let's see here. He also said that it would help tourists enter bars and restaurants after September 1. So even if you want to be, a, I guess I'm not going to Canada anytime soon. Um, apparently, even if you are going to be a tourist and you want to go up there, you have to have this information. That's insane. Why go to Canada? Why go to Canada, ladies and gentlemen? Ain't nothing but night breed up there. Um, he said the province may also ask visitors. Well, I guess this is only in Quebec. Okay. I guess this is only in Quebec to be fair. All right. But still, uh, he said the province may also ask visitors to visit a vaccination site and show proof of vaccination in order to obtain a quick response code, which can be scanned by businesses covered by the passport system. Uh, it reminds me of the Excelsior pass in New York. Like, you know, so that businesses can scan your, scan your papers and they can verify that you have been vaccinated. Uh, Quebec is the latest province to become more strict with COVID-19 vaccination requirements. Um, we had Ontario, in the province of Ontario, uh, their chief medical officer of health said that employers in health and education will be required to ask workers about their vaccination status and that those who aren't fully vaccinated or who don't have a documented medical exemption will need to take an education session a rehabilitation session, right? An education session um, and uh, be subject to regular tests. On Thursday, um, health officials in British Columbia said that vaccination against COVID-19 will be a condition for employment at long-term care centers and assisted living facilities in that province. They have until October 12th to get vaccinated. But again, back in the province of Quebec, Legault also announced Tuesday that mask wearing will be mandatory inside classrooms in junior colleges and universities when classes resume in the fall. Uh, the province's reopening plan for co colleges and universities have previously only required students to wear masks in common places. So they are going under the mask and the vax over in Canada, Quebec leading the charge. Uh, oh, yeah, I got this video here for you guys. Let's take a look at it. Uh, this is some uh, news about Quebec vaccine passports uh, uh, from a, uh, like a CBC News. I guess that's the Canadian News or something like that. Uh, let's go ahead and see what they have to share with us, ladies and gentlemen. Quebec's health minister says a fourth wave is inevitable, but another lockdown may not be. So that we do not have to reconfine and to avoid closing activities or businesses, the best way is vaccination. But we will also use the vaccination passport. As of September 1st, at places like restaurants, bars and festivals, people 12 and up will have to prove they're vaccinated to get in. It won't be mandatory for staff who work there. First, though, the province will test out the technology, which involves a QR code and a free app at a Quebec City bar and a gym in Laval. 70% of eligible Quebecers are fully vaccinated. The province wants to get that to 84% by the end of the month. Some Montrealers think a vaccine passport will help. It will push people to take the vaccines. I will be more protected. I think it can bring more people to get vaccinated. They want to go to restaurants again, hang out with their friends again. So I think that's a good idea, yeah. But others worry about the requirement. It's, it's almost a sense of discrimination too, I think, at the same time, you know, like, like how far is it going to go? Show me proof you've been vaccinated. 
and I'm good to go. This gym owner already requires his members to be vaccinated, but says he's faced major blowback for it. Uh, I've been trolled to death. If you want to enjoy coming here, there are, you do have a responsibility. I think it's normal that we, that some people still have questions. There are questions, too, from civil liberties groups and opposition politicians who say the plan lacks transparency. But there are still millions of people in Quebec who have not received their second, their two doses of vaccines. Can you imagine the number of people who are potential victims of COVID? This expert says it's one more tool that could help make the next wave smaller. Alison Northcott, CBC News, Montreal. You know, that was Hi, I'm Montreal. Rex Moore with The Motley hey, Fool. I did not give you permission to advertise on my show. <laughs> so there you go, guys. Just a real quick new snippet coming in from Quebec. This is not the Ottawa flag. I don't think that's that's right. That's not right. I didn't think it was right. Okay. Let me just kill this box real quick. Hey, come back here. There we go. There we go. That's what we're looking for. Okay, so uh, same deal with Ottawa, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we just watched that quick vid clip. Uh, let's take a look at what they had to say, though. I think I have that here as well. Yeah. Okay, so here's a, a news report in regards to the vaccine passport coming out of Ottawa. From France to Quebec, we will also use the vaccination passport. Documents showing proof of COVID-19 vaccinations are becoming more common. And now Ottawa is providing some detail about a planned vaccine passport for international travel. They will include the holder's COVID-19 vaccination history, including the vaccine types, date and location. The federal government says it is collaborating with provinces and territories to create a standard document for all Canadians, though it offered no clarity on exactly when it would be rolled out, other than early fall. We do have a timeline, and that timeline is to move forward as quickly as possible. Part of the challenge, there is no international consensus yet on what this kind of document could look like, though places such as Egypt have started their own initiatives. First, the citizen comes with a valid passport to make sure he and his jabs are registered in the system, whether one or two. Then a watermark is stamped, which cannot be forged. There are still many details that haven't been worked out. Different countries have different lists of approved vaccines. Hundreds of thousands of Canadians received AstraZeneca, which still hasn't been approved in the U.S. The Immigration Department says it's working with international partners to make sure the system works as smoothly as possible. Rafa Bujikani of CBC News, Ottawa. All right, there's that one, ladies and gentlemen. Cancel. All right, let's get you off the screen. Aha. Uh -huh. Oh, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Let's get uh, a... We'll get to the elections in just a sec. I think that's the no. Oh, that's the Ontario flag. I could have sworn I pulled up the Nova Scotia flag. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, in that case, okay. So uh, you know, that's a that's an interesting flag, there, isn't it? That's Ontario's flag. It looks like a six six six. No, just kidding. I don't know. That's a pretty flag. Anyways, okay. We're not talking about Ontario, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about Nova Scotia. 
real quick though, Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie. Matt Hendy, thank you for the can. I appreciate it. Uh, yes, uh, very, very interesting. I mean, you know, we're hearing it. Uh, we're, we're seeing this all the same. We're seeing this all the same. It's, it's going to happen across the board. Um, uh, but, you know, we will have to see exactly how that will be taken to in the United States of America. I think, uh, who was it that I'd seen ask that question? Who was it? Who was it? I think it was Tam Growl. Was it Tam Growl? Oh, where'd it go? Uh, uh, asking why why Canada was pushing it was the question, I think, that she had had. Dun, dun, dun. Boy, this chat's moving fast. Was I seeing things? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. It was Ohio Kimmy. My bad. Uh, my question is, why is Canada pushing this so hard? China, what is their agenda? I mean, they. in my opinion, I mean, of course, like Canada's is, you know, a big piece of the globalist machinery, you know, even though they're probably a lower cog on the wheel. Um, but I think they've always, to me, they've always been beholden to, to that. I mean, like I said, crown colony guys, like, uh, they've always been beholden to their masters. They've always been subject to it. And I just, I, you know, I, to me, it's almost like the further you get away from the crown, you know, the, the worse they treat the people, uh, of that, uh, crown colony, like for example, Australia, you know, like, look at how bad it is over there. But anyways, it seems like, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like Canadians are so passive, you know. Um, it, I mean, I just, I question if anyone's really standing up other than, you know, the ones that we know about, like, you know, any of our friends here in the Foxhole app, or if you know any Canadian patriots out there who, you know, are are trying to fight for their freedom uh, in in their country, respectively speaking, that is. Uh, but we don't, I mean, we don't see it, you know, we don't see it. And then even if they do, like, I mean, does, does their government do anything about it? It doesn't seem like it, you know, it does not seem like it. Um, it doesn't seem like it at all, you know, so I don't know. Because uh, like I said, we'll talk about this election coming up here in a minute. And boy, did I have questions. But real quick on Nova Scotia. Uh, Nova Scotia, they actually did have some protesters that gathered in Halifax to oppose the vaccine passports. Now they had about 100 people who gathered in downtown Halifax to protest the COVID-19 vaccine passport system. Uh, they had liberal leader, uh, liberal leader Lane Rankin um, a re recently announcing that re-elected liberal government would bring in vaccine passports dubbed Scotia Pass. So that's what they're going to call it over there in Nova Scotia, the Scotia Pass. Uh, of course, protesters held signs and chanted, no Scotia Pass, you know, freedom, freedom. Uh, they're definitely uh, trying to get vocal down there, but what will they see anything out of it? Now, the NDP leader, Gary Burrill, and progressive conservative leader, Tim Houston, have not committed to a vaccine passport system. So that's what I'm talking about. They have a progressive conservative party. Like, I don't get it. And then I guess the NDP, was that the National Democrat Party? I'm not sure. Because they have a whole, I mean, I mean, they have a whole bunch of socialists up there, like up in up there in Canada. I mean, I guess that would make sense, right? Like they are a socialist country, uh, but you know, the new Democrat party. Okay. So I'm talking about guys like their, their political parties sound like superhero groups, like the new Democrats and the progressive, the progressive conservatives, like duel it out in Friday's episode of 
Canada under wraps. I don't know. Like, so anyways, so um, the leaders of these parties have not committed to a vaccine passport system, but they have said that they need to consult the public health uh, if their parties form government. So it's like they don't I mean, they're not even outrightly opposed to it. They're like, well, we just haven't decided, but uh, we'll get with our, our public health leader and, and you know, we'll consult them and figure out what we should do. They have absolutely no it doesn't seem like they have absolutely any type of desire to fight this or they don't see anything wrong with it at all. They just need to have a consultation first before they decide in what way they're going to move their political party. Now, this one sounded sounded interesting. Uh, um, Nova Scotia's Atlantica party leader, uh, a man by the name of Jonathan Dean, attended the march and said his party is against a vaccine passport system. So finally, we have a political party. It's probably a very small party uh, who totally opposes it. Uh, sounds like he would try and buck the tide. But I don't, what do I know about the Atlantica party? I'm not sure. Um, uh, but uh, it is fun to report that. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Of course, uh, there are people like this, uh, this uh, Jonathan Dean, in regards to the vaccine passport, has said this doesn't have to do with COVID-19. It does not have to do with the vaccines. This is about people's fundamental rights to be able to make their own health decisions for themselves and for their families. A darn truth that we all know about but yet at the same time, we are seeing all of this happening around the world. And I mean, maybe it's just a test to see how far they can go and get away with it. All right. Let's talk about Canada's federal elections now, as I was trying to describe it at the beginning of this episode. The federal elections are basically uh, Canada's versions of voting for your state's uh, for your senators, your your senators and your representatives. We're talking at Capitol Hill, not your state representatives, but your federal representatives. So, you know, so they're having this. Now, I had no idea that, you know, Canada was having an election. Um, uh, a lot of questions come to mind. Like, uh, is there is there a, uh, a patriot party in there that we should be rooting for? Are there any patriot candidates that anyone knows about uh, that we should like be trying to prop up in Canada? Who's going to fight the system and take down the crown and go up against Trudeau? Like, that's what my questions were. I was like, I have not heard about this from anywhere or anybody until I found it. And it came across my news desk today. So I was actually quite surprised. Um, you know, like elections are important. You know, elections are very important. Um, even even if they're a losing game, even if they're totally co-opted. I mean, maybe not as co-opted as Maduro's Venezuela. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, at least if they at least have this visage of, you know, being an actual, real, uh, uh, non-fraudulent election, you would think that people would be wanting to do something, be involved, be active, spread the word, uh, but apparently um, not. Uh, so let's talk about Canada's federal elections. Uh, now, um, the federal elections, um, they are for, uh, let's see here, well, for a fact, kind of just like America, because I'm, I'm learning this about Canada, guys. I don't know much about their politics, so I'm learning. Uh, uh, Canada holds elections for legislatures or governments in several jurisdictions, including the federal or national elections for national government, provincial, which is synonymous with state elections, and territorial governments, provincial and territorial, it's like a state election, and municipal governments, which is akin to your local elections, right? Uh, the 2021 Canadian federal election 
will elect members of the House of Commons to the 44th Canadian Parliament. Okay, so they have a parliament. It's called the House of Commons. Um, and uh, there are two chambers, just like in the United States of America. Uh, they have the House of Commons. It has 338 members elected for a maximum of a four-year term in a single-seat electoral district, kind of like we do. And then they have the Senate, kind of like we do, and that has 105 members appointed by the governor general on the advice of the prime minister. So that's how they have their federal or national elections for those representatives. Um, and that's what's going on. Now, these uh these elections typically take place i think it said it was like the second monday in october um but these elections have now been moved up to next month a month from today on september 20th they will be holding their federal elections so you know if this were america this would be a huge deal, right? We'd be talking about let's primary the rhinos, let's get them out of there, America first, you know, uh, make America great again, right? But we don't hear a peep out of Canada, like not one drip of a drop. Like I never would have known that Canada has an election coming up in a month if uh, I hadn't looked it up today. Well, I didn't look it up. It was it was in the headlines. So I was like, oh, this is a big deal. Like to me, it's a big deal. Like it's a, it's a damn election for your damn, you know, like, you know, federal government. Like this is a big deal, right? It's, it's a big deal here in the States, right? It's a huge deal here in the States. This would be like, we're talking shop about the election. You know, we got this coming up in a month. We're game planning, we're, we're rallying, we're picketing, you know, all that stuff. Right. But not one iota of a modicum of information about the Canadian elections. Interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Very interesting. Okay. Anyways. Okay. Your own backyard is very important, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Sunday called for an early election on September 20th saying he needed a new mandate to ensure voters approved of his liberal government's plan to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so, yeah, like I said, typically they're held in October. Uh, but basically what he did is uh, Trudeau, and this is a very interesting part of their government also. I don't quite understand it, but this is a very interesting part of their government also. Um, apparently Trudeau visits this governor general. Okay, this governor general seems to be a very powerful person. Uh, the governor general is currently uh, someone by the name of Mary Simon. And uh, Mary Simon, governor general of Canada, is the representative of the head of state, Queen Elizabeth. So I guess I guess and I don't know because I, I really don't understand this, but I guess the governor general would be the person that the queen says, all right, you go over to Canada and you tell them to do what I say because I am the queen. I'm guessing that's who the governor general is. Right. So it sounds like the governor general is more powerful than Trudeau because Trudeau has to ask the governor general to uh, dissolve parliament. And that's what he did. He went to the governor general, uh, the representative of the queen, and he asked her to dissolve parliament. And she did. And when she did that, that kicked the elections from October to September 20th. So now they have to go and vote in September for their federal representatives in the state of Canada. Very interesting, right? Like how this is working. Um, anyways, so polls in Canada suggest that the liberals will win uh, for their third consecutive election, uh, but, but may not regain a majority in the 338-seat House of Commons. 
Now, Trudeau currently has only a minority of seats, which leaves him reliant on other parties in order for him to govern. Ooh, so he doesn't have a majority or a supermajority. Now, the Liberals would win 35% of the vote, which is uh, more compared with the 30% of the main opposition conservative party. So they have a liberal party and a conservative party and 19% of the left-leaning new Democrats, right? The new Democrats, okay? So uh, I guess those are the, the major party players there, the conservatives, the liberals, and the new Democrats, okay? Um, now, the leader of the conservatives is a man by the name, or it might be a woman, Aaron O'Toole, I think it's a man, Aaron O'Toole, and uh, he's criticized Trudeau for calling an election at the country as the country faces its fourth wave of COVID-19. And a lot of these Canadian papers are so bought into the narrative, like like they're so bought into the narrative, like it is a part of their story. Like there's not even uh, there's not even I don't know, like, you know, here you can read a, you can read an independent Patriot paper and it will not tell you, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, the elections uh, were not fake and it's because of COVID, you know, like, and they'll say, they won't say something like that, you know. Anyways, uh, he had, uh, he said some conservative legislators had described it as tyrannical. So they're calling him a tyrant um, to put, uh, to make vaccines mandatory for federal regulate, uh, regulated industries. I mean, yep, well, we've kind of been talking about that, right? Uh, the right of center conservatives, the liberals' biggest rival, says uh, spending will increase if Trudeau wins again, leading generations of Canadians hobbled by debt. With a parliamentary majority, Trudeau would have a free hand to follow through on his uh, started stated policy uh, priorities of fighting climate change and supporting those who suffered most during the pandemic. That's, that's, uh, that's what he wants to do. So, I mean... Very interesting here, guys, but this is what we're seeing in Canada. They have a major election coming up in one month. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, my main question here was like, is there anyone for us to support in Canada? Is there anyone that we can, you know, talk about, talk up, spread the word about? Uh, are there any political parties that we could do that with? Are there any any politicians in particular uh, that we need to know about? Um I mean, because, guys, I had no idea. Like, this is a big deal. Like, as an American who sees elections as a big deal, this is a big deal. You know, it's a big deal. But, I, I mean, I guess if everyone, if all the politicians in all the provinces are all bought out and are all controlled opposition, I mean, then the question is, like, does that mean we should we shouldn't care? You know, does that mean that we shouldn't care? I mean... Uh, does the, maybe, maybe, maybe the true patriots in Canada should be the ones running to try and make a difference if no one else is going to do it. Um, I know that's, that sounds like a lot, like I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not like, you know, I'm not coming, coming at them from the side, the Canadians, but like, I'm just saying like, you know, that's, that's a big deal. And to, to be able to identify the problem merits a solution you know what i mean like if you can see the problem because knowing is half the battle right like if you can identify the problem who's going to come up with a solution who's going to do something about it you know like and and not allow this type of activity to keep happening in their country so and and that's just very concerning because like they were saying in the chat like you know they're pushing the vax hard and they're pushing the mandatory passports hard you know, why are they so doing it? It's because the entire legislation in the state of the country of Canada is totally 100% bought out. 
um, you know, and they're going to let them do that. I mean, I guess the same could be said for other countries like the United Kingdom, right? Uh, we have the controlled opposition of Boris Johnson, who finally unmasked himself, you know, and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, kind of makes me feel really good about America right about now. You know, I, I <laughs> now I can see why we're the uh, we're the talk of the town when it comes to everything else, because I guess everyone else has given up on their own location. I don't know. I hope I'm not sounding like I'm coming down too hard on these people, but uh, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. We do have some Canadians here in, in the chat room. I don't know where Better Lately went. He was hanging out for a minute. I was waiting for him to start, you know, uh, helping out here if I was like fumbling, but uh, like Sol Rico, it's, it looks like um, um, is from Canada. Thank you again for the cookie, Elfspark. Uh, our Senate is not elected; it's appointed. Ah, Elfspark. So we have some, we have some Canadians. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the C chats. I hope, I hope you don't read this as me uh, criticizing Canada too much. But I'm just like, I had no idea, guys. I had no idea that Canada was having an election. That seems like a big deal to me. Uh, D yes, DW Truth Warrior. I, I have uh, lurked a bit, well, replayed a bit on some of his stuff, but. Uh, I will try and find the time to find some more about his content or not find some more about his content, but review it. He's from Canada. He's trying hard to get people to stand up and peacefully fight back. That's good to know. Uh, Hodges, Allison, 1969. Welcome back. And thank you for that info. Nat Handy, thank you for the phone. <laughs> Let's see, but you have to vote in your writing for your candidates. Ohio Kimmy, thank you for the cookie. Just, it's just interesting info, just to see the way that other countries work. Um, I mean, I know it's not necessarily representative of everyone there. I mean, obviously you can't lay a blanket on everyone uh, um, just because they're in a country that seems kind of like apathetic about or maybe jaded. I don't know about about their own election system. But that's crazy. That's crazy, guys. Like uh, knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. But thank you guys for coming into the chat. Else Park says China owns Canada now. Trudeau sold out our gold mines in the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, dang, I mean, you guys have a much harder fight. To me, it sounds like you guys have a much harder fight than America does. It's just we're center stage. I, and I guess the only reason why America is center stage is because, A, you know, freedom was the theme that ran throughout this entire experiment, as they call it. And we're, we're really the only ones that can fight it. Um, and, and make some headway. I guess that's the only way. Hey, speaking easy. How's it going? Uh, much thank you for the cookie, my friend. But yeah, this is interesting stuff, guys. Very interesting stuff. All right. That's going to put Canada to bed for the night. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to Venezuela. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Venezuela and their sham elections. Now, you want to talk about a sham election, you know. But again, I mean, uh, at least I could say the people of Venezuela try and I mean, to the point of getting killed, try and fight back against their, you know, their dictator. And they try and fight for like, you know, they literally fight for it. And uh, you see uh, you hear the stories about the people in Venezuela getting, you know, shot, getting arrested, getting beaten and stuff like that. Uh, and they're true stories, you know, and and maybe it's because they recognize it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting like so like, you know, in the head right now, just thinking about it. But let's see. Uh, Venezuelan uh, brawls erupt at sham social pro socialist primary. So as we know, uh, you know, Venezuela is a socialist country. I think it's it's safer to put it in the communist 
or Marxist bucket, but uh, but for the world, you know, they consider themselves socialists, right? A, a collapsed socialist country. Uh, so they recently had their primaries over there in Venezuela. And uh, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, fights and protests broke out. It's pretty crazy. Uh, so just as a quick re recap, since this is the first time we're talking about Venezuela here at the Sea Report, Venezuela is not a democracy and has not held a completely free and fair election since late socialist dictator Hugo Chavez won the 1998 presidential election. So that's going back some time now. The ruling socialists have regularly held elections in which they use the National Electoral Council. The National Electoral Council in order to control the results of the elections. Interesting to note, Maduro, who's the current dictator in charge there in Venezuela, actually runs the National Electoral Council. Like, you know, he he runs it, he controls it, okay? Um, so along with the National um, Electoral Council controlling the vote in Venezuela, they also use bribes. They also use bribes to get their people to vote and to tell them how to vote, which includes food rationing or threatening them with their jobs. So if you don't vote, you don't eat. If you don't vote, you don't have a job anymore. And that's what they do over there in Venezuela to the people that are working now or, you know, who live there. Um, now, during Venezuela's last round of sham elections back in December of 2020, uh, an individual by the name of Diazado Cabello a senior PSUV figurehead um, and accused drug lord warned Venezuelans, those who don't vote, don't eat. So there you go. They're laying it down on their people. I mean, that's crazy. Voting under duress, right? Um, only official members of the PSUV, okay, and the uh, PSUV is the, uh, is the United Socialist Party of Venezuela, the PSUV, United Socialist Party of Venezuela, probably uh, probably Parti Sociedad Unida de Venezuela or something like that in Spanish. Um, uh, they were allowed to vote in Sunday's elections. So this is a week ago. The governing rule, the governing governing rules of the PSUV allowed dictator Nicolas Maduro to intervene. So the uh, the United Socialist Party of Venezuela allows Maduro the current dictator, to intervene and change the results of an election where the situation requires. Now, we're talking about their primary elections, okay? So if uh, they see something wrong with it, Maduro can step in and change it where the situation requires. Hmm, man, pretty lucky guy to be able to just step in and, you know, uh, change the will of the people. Um, but anyways, so uh, that's that's basically the way their their voting system works right now, guys. Like that, in a nutshell, is if you're gonna vote in Venezuela, uh, it's owned by Maduro. He owns the entire machinery of how it is worked out, how it's performed, who runs, all of that stuff. Um, but even even in spite of that, the Venezuelans still show up to vote, right, um, and participate in the elections on behalf of local socialist candidates without support from the, their capital, Caracas, or, you know, Maduro. So uh, they'll show up to vote for any opposition to Maduro, basically is what we're seeing here. Now, um, locals, locales throughout Venezuela reported mob violence, brawls, and burning vehicles on Sunday amid the ruling United Socialist Party of Venezuela's attempt to hold a primary 
for mayoral and gubernatorial positions. Uh, the state called Zulia in Venezuela appeared to be most heavily affected by the violence. According to Radio Caracas, at least seven cities in the state documented instances of violence, including beatings and stabbings. In a video published by the independent site El, Pit uh, El Pitazo, reportedly taken in the town of Guajira, brawls erupted outside of a school serving as polling place when poll workers attempted to keep voters out who showed clear intentions of voting for challenger uh, Herbert Chacon for mayor. Now, uh, this uh, Herbert Chacon previously was uh, who previously held the mayorship of uh, Guajira um, is running against incumbent and Caracas favorite Indiana in Indira Fernandez. Okay, so uh, the establishment candidate, uh, his opposition was uh, they were attacking their constituents. So it's like, oh, it's like uh, 2020 all over again, right? Now we're seeing it here again, right? We're seeing it over. Well, I mean, come on. They took the script from Venezuela and they brought it over here to United States of America, basically, right? With ballot stuffing and uh, and all of these, uh, these violent actions against uh, voters and poll workers. God, what is this? Uh, what does America become? A third world country? <laughs> Anyways, a similar situation also occurred in the city called Casigua El Cuba, El Cubo, in, in the state of Zulia, and according to a Venezuelan newspaper called El Nacional, um, they had Mayor uh, Kereneth Fernandez reportedly organizing mobs to attack supporters of his rival, Lucia Mavarez. Uh, the newspaper cited independent journalist Lenin Daneri reporting that the mobs prompted a wave of violence that resulted in significant injuries and the burning of motorcycles. Uh, the Venezuelan Institute uh, for Press and Society reported late on Sunday that the primaries also featured attacks on journalists. And even though there was documented violence and chaos, the United Party Socialist Party of Venezuela's leadership declared the election a success. Um, uh, the official propaganda newspaper for the socialist, or the unofficial, I apologize, propaganda newspaper for the socialist called Ultimas Noticias declared the elections in Zulia occurred in total normalcy. So it's totally normal for the opposition, the uh, establishment opposition's people to get, you know, killed and beaten on. And dictator Maduro himself also refers to the election as a historic, uh, as an historic event on Twitter. Apparently, even uh, Dictator Maduro has a Twitter account. Okay, interesting, right? Um, so uh, that's kind of some of the stuff that we're seeing over there in Venezuela. This is a recent primary that happened, okay? Now, the winners of this week's weekend's primary will go on to the general election, which is scheduled in November um, and has uh, has... Uh, the, uh, the people that they will be voting for in that election are certified Marxist or socialist parties. Those are the only kind of parties that you can vote for in Venezuela, Marxist or socialist parties. OK, and we're seeing so many other countries that are falling into this now, uh, even if they had strong conservative leadership, they are facing total opposition. OK, now one of these parties is called the Mud Party. <laughs> The Mud Party, which stands for Mesa de la Unidad Democrática, 
Okay. And it's funny because like, you know, we feel for the people in these nations, right? But they're all like socialist or Democrat countries, like, and that's the majority of their party. And, you know, and far be it, they're totally different from the Democrats here who are, who are just, the Democrats and the socialists here just dream about being, you know, these Marxist socialist parties. They just, they just so want to be that. But anyways, um, uh, this MUD party, the Mesa de la Unidad, um, which stands for the Democrat Unity Roundtable Party, was once the strongest wing of the anti-Maduro opposition. Now, these guys, they're a Democrat party, but they used to be the strongest opposition to Maduro's party. Now, the MUD party is a coalition of anti-Maduro parties. So several of them are members of the Socialist International whose main demand since coming to the fore of the anti-Maduro movement is to participate in Maduro orchestrated and rigged elections. It's crazy, right, guys? Like, that's their main their main fight is to participate in these rigged elections. And, that they, they, you know, we know they I, I guess they know that these elections are rigged by Maduro himself. They're orchestrated by him. They're rigged by him. You know, it's like uh, it's like uh, professional wrestling over there. Uh, but they want to they want to be able to participate in that. And I guess it's because, you know, you have to sometimes you have to go along with that game in order to take over the game. So I would think that maybe that is their point. That's their their game plan, perhaps in doing so. Uh, but the mud parties were responsible for the opposition victories in what many consider the last legitimate election in the country. Uh, the legislative elections of 2015, which resulted in Maduro unconstitutionally creating his own legislature and invalidating the National Assembly. Mud, later, uh, mud leaders have repeatedly insisted that legitimizing these sham elections is a way to not surrender the playing field to the United Socialist Party of Venezuela. So again, yeah, they, they think that they can legitimize these elections by participating in them. Um, and not allowing the uh, the United Socialist Party to keep doing what they're doing. Now, Maduro's Supreme Court actually banned the Democratic Unity Roundtable, Mesa de la Unidad Democrática, right? He actually They actually banned the organization from participating in elections in 2018, but has not yet appeared to block their participation in gubernatorial and mayoral elections this year. So they're hoping to participate. Uh, so let's bring this guy on the screen. I don't know if you guys know who this guy is or if you remember who he is. His name is Juan Guaido. Guido? Guaido? Guaido? I don't know. I can't pronounce his name. Juan Guaido. I think it's Guaido. Uh, he, now, this guy is the guy that, okay, you remember that whole debacle where President Trump was getting involved with Venezuela and it had to do with Maduro and Guaido? And, uh, you know, uh, they're like, is President Trump going to recognize Guaido or is he going to recognize Maduro? Who is he going to recognize? And, you know, President Trump recognized Guaido, right? Now, okay, so Juan Guaido, now, according to this article, he is actually the constitutional president of Venezuela, okay? And this is since 2019. Um, but Maduro, the dictator, has successfully com uh, kept him completely powerless, um, and he's opposed Guaido's opposition uh, participation in the regional elections in statements uh, since June. Now, Guaido was formerly a longtime member of the Popular Will Party, a socialist international member, okay? Um, but he's also been talking with Guaido, and so it's, it's very interesting. So basically, some of the history on that, um, you know, you had uh, Nicolas Maduro, the current uh, dictator. He's running the country, right? 
Um, but his his legal term, his term limit expired in January of 2019. Okay. Now, um, so he should have stepped down, right? Did not happen. Okay, so what ends up happening is, you know, Maduro is a dictator. He controls the armed forces of Venezuela. Um, he controls the nation's police units. And, you know, uh, he, he, his party's very lucrative with oil and gold deposits. Now, when Maduro's term expired, the nation's anti-Chavista opposition... Um, or those who are opposing these uh, socialist, uh, you know, um, dictators, uh, use the constitutional provision in their country that would grant the National Assembly, which is like, I guess, Congress, you know, or whatever, it would grant the National Assembly the federal legislative power to appoint an interim president in the event of a rupture in the democratic order. And they chose Juan Guaido. So constitutionally speaking, according to the constitution of the country of Venezuela, this man is rightfully the president on the interim, right? But Maduro never acknowledged it, you know, never let him to do that's where That's where that whole battle came from. If you guys were remembering or recalling what was going on with uh, Venezuela and President Trump and the rest of the world, you know, it was like, who's going to side with the dictator and who's going to side with, you know, the constitutional president. OK, now, Guido, at the time of his, of his inauguration, was a member of the political party and the popular will. He was a full member of the Socialist International. Um, he was the leader of the party. Um, oh, but the leader of that party has actually been exiled to Spain because uh, he's afraid for his life. And uh, he's trying to organize a coalition against Maduro. I guess he's still doing that at this point. Uh, most of the free world acknowledged the legality of Guido's claim to the presidency and many countries, including the United States, considered his diplomats to be the legitimate representatives of Venezuela. Other than a brief period in May 2019 in which he claimed the military had turned on Maduro, Guido has not exercised any presidential powers other than appointing ambassadors to friendly states. So it's a sad situation that we're seeing over there in Venezuela. Um, and it's a little bit of a look at their sham elections that are going on over there. In case y'all are wondering, that is Maduro. <laughs> That's Maduro. He's the big old scary socialist bear dictator in Venezuela. And uh, that is what he's been doing to that country. Uh, now, like I said uh, at the onset, he has actually started opposition talks in uh, uh for for the opposition right not that not that guido is involved in this at all i mean honestly um uh, the article said that he was uh in talks with maduro guido was one guido and that he was losing the respect of the people for it because apparently he's going to be making a lot of concessions obviously so uh venezuela starts uh opening up to opposition talks uh, now that's uh, that's you know to come to terms with the people who don't agree with his uh, dictatorial administration or regime, if you want to call it there in Venezuela. Um, now this happens in Mexico City, okay? So they have to have Mexico City as the host uh, for them to have these talks, these opposition talks, and indeed the country of Norway is mediating the dialogue. So this is this is happening between the Maduro regime. And his opposition, okay, so that would be those who oppose him, like the anti-Chavistas and that type of individual there. And now, basically what they're trying to do here, what Maduro is trying to do here in these talks 
is he's trying to get the United States of America and the rest of the world to ease up on the sanctions that they have put on his country. Like that's his main goal here. That's what he wants. He wants to he wants to get buddy buddy with Joe Biden. Uh, as it said in the article, and see if he can't get the United States to ease off the sanctions that were laid on him. Now, the opposition wants Maduro to release dozens of people that they consider political prisons, and they also want to provide guarantees that its candidates can run in regional elections in November. So um, Guaido declared himself Venezuela's president in 2019, like I said. Um, um, he wants guarantees over electoral conditions and a clear program for presidential elections. Um, but I mean, they are controlled by Maduro. He controls all the elections there in Venezuela. He totally takes over all of that stuff. So I guess, I mean, it'd be interesting to note. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Venezuela has fallen, you know, as far as we know, as far as we're concerned. Um, and this is what happens when you have that kind of socialism, I would say it's probably closer to Marxism or communism and anything else. And you have a dictator taking over its reins. Uh, but that's just a little bit of a look at Venezuela. So, you know, we've talked about Peru. We've talked about Venezuela. We've talked about Brazil. We're actually going to talk about Peru uh, one more time. Let me see what I got going on here. What is next up in my bag of tricks for you guys today? Um, let's see. Do I have the story ready to go? This is Peru. Okay, yeah. So we're talking about Peru next. Okay, so yeah. So real quick on Peru. As we've talked about them, they recently fell to communism uh, back in June. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's not without a fight. Of course, if you guys remember, fraudulent elections were declared. Uh, you had <clears throat> uh, Kaiko Fujimoto, who was a conservative uh, leader over there. Uh, her father's in jail. Um, she served jail time. Um, and so that's it's just a really bad situation. Uh, the president, uh, his name is Pedro Castillo, full blown communist, but denies it. Uh, well, no, no, I take it back. He denies being part of the Communist Party over there, but he is a communist. Um, now, uh, in regards to this update in Peru, because, you know, we're talking about, you know, how China is involved in all this, like we were talking about in Afghanistan. We're like, well, we'll see where the Taliban really stand if they make deals with China, kind of like Cuba has made deals with China. We've talked about that. Peru is also very much in bed with China, which is it should give everyone, you know, if they weren't too sure about it. Right. Where they stand on the world stage. Now, President Pedro Castillo is seeking to expand political and trade ties with China, okay? Um, with little room to grow given China's status as Peru's largest trade partner already, Peru's participation in the Belt and Road Initiative. I'm sure some of you guys have heard about the Belt and Road Initiative, basically where China's, uh, you know, uh, taking up land and, uh, you know, um, making uh, making room for itself in other countries uh, is what uh, that is going on with that. Now, Castillo's attempts to bring Peru deeper into China's orbit are not a significant departure from prior Peruvian government's policy, but most notably in regards to Pedro Castillo, he has a closer ideology uh, in regards to how China thinks and does things than his predecessors. Okay, so he's a little bit closer to communism, at least the way China does it is what it's saying. Now, Reuters reported since Castillo was inaugurated on July 28th, administration officials have met with the Chinese ambassador and the Chinese mining executives to discuss not just policies for their industry, but also to strengthen a previous free trade agreement first signed in 2009. Okay. 
So it was also noted that uh, uh, Pedro Castillo is using his cabinet to maintain close communication with Chinese envoys in the country, sending his foreign trade and tourism minister, Roberto Sanchez, to meet with Chinese ambassador Liang Yu on Monday. Um, other reports have confirmed the meeting noted that in addition to discussing expansion of an already existing free trade agreement, Roberto Sanchez sought to come up with ways to increase Chinese tourism to Peru. Okay, so uh, they're definitely trying to uh, bring their ties closer together between uh, China and between Peru. Now, there is a uh, president Castillo, the communist, and uh, that's a uh, Liang Yu the communist from China, right? Uh, that's them. That's during their meeting, shaking hands there, right? Okay, all right. So at least you get a, a visual of these individuals. Uh, now, Castillo described this meeting with Liang Yu. And again, Liang Yu is the Chinese ambassador to Peru. He described the meeting as an attempt to prioritize the ties of brotherhood and cooperation between both nations. In a feature on Peru-China ties published in July, Chinese state media outlet CJ, CGTN noted that China is Peru's largest trade partner and has been since 2014, and it is one of Peru's most important purchasers of copper and ore. Okay, um, They are a key economic partner following the signing of the 2010 free trade agreement under the then neoliberal president Alan Garcia. Uh, of Peru. And Peru joined the Belt and Road Initiative in 2019 under President Martin Vizcarra. Uh, China has touted that the Belt and Road Initiative is a global infrastructure plan meant to recreate the ancient Silk Road, which connected eastern China to western Europe thousands of years ago. Uh, and of course, there is no historical evidence that even suggests that Peru was originally part of that original ancient Silk Road as they are in the Western Hemisphere. And we're seeing this is the same thing with Cuba, the BRI, the Belt and Road uh, Initiative. Uh, Cuba is also part of that. And so now Peru is part of that. Uh, BRI projects typically consist of China offering poorer countries predatory loans intended to be used to pay Chinese companies to build ports, roads, and railways. Beijing typically sells the projects by claiming they will make up their value and revenue. But in reality, the countries that have participated in the program have seen themselves in dangerous levels of debt. And in some cases, they are forced to forfeit the properties to China. Sounds like a globalist central bank tactic that we have heard about for years and years and decades and centuries. Uh, you know, uh, start a war, buy it up cheap. Uh, you know, give them debt notes, make crash their economy, and then you own some of their land. All right. Where do they get their ideas from? I wonder. These are these ideas are thousands of years old, obviously. Uh, but that, that gives us another idea. So, you know, if we go to war with China, you can expect uh, you can expect Chinese uh, uh, headquarters uh, ports to attack out of Peru and to attack out of Cuba. And probably Canada, apparently. All right, guys, I'm sorry I didn't warn you, but now we have uh, we have a swamp creature at large on the screen. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. If it isn't old Georgie. If it isn't it old Georgie. All right, guys, sorry I didn't warn you that he was coming on. <laughs> Okay, this is an interesting, this is an interesting little tidbit of information. Okay, we're going to talk about this real quick. Now, apparently, George Soros has something against Xi Jinping. All right. I, I don't understand. You think that these dictators would stand together, right? These, these, uh, these people who hate humanity, who hate the world and, and, you know, globalists, um, 
But, uh, but apparently, apparently George Soros went on a rant against Xi Jinping. Uh, and this came out in, uh, let me see, what is it? I just thought it was funny. Like this guy, like he doesn't like him. <laughs> uh, where did, where was this published? Uh, the New York Times, uh, it seems, published this piece from George Soros. Uh, no, 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 sorry. It was the Wall Street Journal. Okay, the Wall Street Journal. He describes Xi Jinping as a threat to the free world. <laughs> oh my God, a threat to the free world, he says. Okay, this is what this is what some of what old Georgie says. Xi Jinping, the ruler of China, suffers from several internal inconsistencies, which greatly reduces the cohesion and effectiveness of his leadership. Uh, there is a conflict between his beliefs and his actions and between his public declarations of wanting to make China a superpower and his behavior as a domestic ruler. He's taken some of those, you know, highfalutin globalist uh, uh, wax at Xi Jinping, apparently. He's like... <laughs> Okay, he says these internal contradictions have revealed themselves in the context of the growing conflict between the United States and China. Well, I guess that's because uh, I guess that's because, um, you know, uh, the United States, I guess, is uh, is good old Georgie's uh, pig trough. I, I guess that's why he opposes Xi Jinping, right? Like, I guess he doesn't want uh, China to go to war with the United States and just ruin all the work that he did to take over this country. Um, let's see here. At the heart of the Washington-Beijing conflict is the reality that the two nations represent systems of governance that are diametrically opposed. Obviously, Georgie boy, is that not quite obvious? Okay, so what are you trying to say? That we should find some concessions? Uh, is that what you're trying to say? I don't get it. He says the United States stands for a democratic open society. Oh, he had to, he had to, he had to do that cheap, uh, he had to do that cheap uh, advertisement for himself there, right? That cheap plug. The United States stands for a democratic open society in which the role of government is to protect the freedom of the individual. Bull! That is utter bull, Georgie. Really, boy? Is that what you, is that what you believe? Anyways, he says, Mr. Xi believes Mao Zedong invented a superior form of organization which he is carrying on, a totalitarian closed society in which the individual is subordinated to one party state. Okay, Georgie, I mean, you may not live long enough to see it, but you damn well know that's the same track that you've put this country and the rest of the world on. I mean, come on. If Pence had somehow managed to get into power, you know that they would have been using that Southern Wall to keep us in. <laughs> you know it, Georgie. What the heck? Anyways, uh, he goes on to say relations between China and the United States are rapidly deteriorating, deteriorating and may lead to war. Mm -hmm. Gravely concluded by Soros, right? I, okay, Georgie, I guess he's just trying to protect his investment. That's all he's doing. That's all that was. And in the name of protecting his investment, he's called out Xi Jinping as someone who's totally inconsistent and, uh, and has, has no sense of what he's doing and apparently has no business sense because he's picking a fight with America, right? Uh, he says, I consider Xi Jinping China's, uh, Xi Jinping's China the worst threat to an open society. And he uh, calls uh, he calls the uh, People's Republic of China a mortal enemy of the West, um, which he said too often gave China the benefit of the doubt. He says we should recognize it. It's a different system. It's totally opposed to ours, diametrically opposed to ours. Um, speaking of the Chinese Communist Party, 
he says he's not anti-Chinese. He's just anti-Xi Jinping. I don't know, guys. What do you think? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is a signal. Maybe this is a signal that Georgie Boy is giving to all his operatives that it's time to go to war. Maybe that's what this is. Uh, because apparently if Georgie Boy says, you know, he's anti-Communist Party, he's anti-Xi Jinping, maybe that means that he wants his operatives to, like, take another look at China, oppose them so they can go to war. I don't know. I mean, to me, that's the only thing that this guy would do. He would send Chris War to scoop up stuff on them, you know, to scoop up all their land and scoop up all of their political houses and kill their people. At least uh, that's the way it seems from my purview, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we got two more short short. Look at that, we got two more short stories for you guys, and then we will wrap up today's Sea Report, the international edition. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. I see we still got all the friends in the house. How you guys doing, ladies and gentlemen? Let me see what else we got. WC, thank you for the cookie. Much appreciate it. And uh, let me see what else we got here. Uh, Sean Joe as well for the cookie. You guys are awesome keeping that cookie jar full. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, we uh, do these international episodes about once a week here at the Sea Report. Even though we talked about nothing but Afghanistan pretty much on Monday and Tuesday, I figured I wouldn't uh, bow out on giving you some stories from other countries around the world. Now we're going to talk about... Um, these buttholes from Davos, the World Economic Forum. Okay, so what do we have to say about the World Economic Forum? Okay, so uh, as it states in our headline, tracked by heartbeat. Okay, so uh, okay, we all know the World World Economic Forum. Uh, you know, they are basically uh, probably the lead purveyors and what was known as the Great Reset, right? Mm -hmm. Davos-based World Economic Forum. Sorry, I can't say that word right now. Uh, Frant was a Klaus Schwab, right? The head of that. Uh, totally into a technocracy and uh, and all of that other stuff that um, trans transhumanism and, and things like that. Uh, well... Um, here's something for a fact. So apparently because of the fact that we have this uh, coronavirus pandemic and everyone has to wear a mask cover, uh, that's, that's hurting the entire idea of having facial recognition systems, much like they have in China, much like they have in the United Kingdom, you know, and I've seen them here in the States. I remember being in one of those Walmart corrals, probably like, I don't know, a year or two ago, and, you know, they have their uh, their television monitors on the corral so you, you can see everything. And as you walked into that corral on the monitor, the little blue boxes were circling everyone's faces. You know, they already have it here, guys. Like I saw, I mean, since then they've turned off the facial recognition monitors, but they had them there. I, I even recorded it with my phone camera, like at the time. I don't have it anymore, but I was like, dang, they already have facial recognition at Walmart. That's crazy. So anyways, um, you know, they're always constantly trying to figure out if not how to kill people, how to turn them into machines or how to digitize them. Right. This is something some of what the World Economic Forum does. Um, they they predicted that countries would begin tracking people by their heartbeats. OK, because they can't use masks anymore because uh, I mean, they can't use facial recognition technology anymore because of the masks, because of COVID. And if we're going to go under a fourth wave, Lord knows that we can't take off our masks. Right. So since, uh, since uh, the facial uh, recognition technology is out the door, they are going to start talking about tracking people by their heartbeats. 
in order to uh, circumvent or circumnavigate around uh, the necessity of wearing masks. Now, they have a video that they actually posted uh, where they talked about this, uh, this, these heartbeat tracking. We're actually going to play that for you guys real quickly. Um, now, this is, uh, this is one of those now this videos where it's like silent uh, with words. <laughs> so uh, let me see here. Oh, that's what I'm trying to expand it. So I might actually read it for those on the podcast side so they know what is being said on this screen. Real short video. We'll take a gander. Now, the video begins five ways a pandemic could reshape our lives in the long term. Offices will be reimagined. The shift to home working will mean offices can serve different functions. They could be used as a client showroom, a research lab, or somewhere to meet and reconnect with colleagues. Two, the advent of 15-minute spaces. Neighborhood hubs could replace some of the parks we miss by not commuting to an office. They might contain gyms, bars, or art galleries, or other network, offer networking opportunities, and would be no more than a 15-minute walk from your home. The rise of cloud markets. Ghost kitchens, restaurants that solely deliver takeaway meals, exploded in popularity during lockdowns. These could morph into cloud markets. Analytics-driven services that license to deliver food to you from a range of brands. You could be identified by your heartbeat. Facial recognition systems are often stumped by face masks. But your heartbeat is just as unique as your face. NASA has invented a system that can ID you from your heartbeat using a laser. Digital technology will change the way children learn. While homeschooling was challenging for many families, it also benefits for those with access to digital tools. Children can learn at their own pace while improving their digital skills. Education in the future could become a hybrid of school and home-based learning, combining the best of both worlds. What pandemic era changes would you like to become permanent? We don't like, we don't comment, we don't share it. My goodness. Okay. The new normal. Oh, it's BS, guys. A, a whole bunch of BS. So, right. So, this whole video, uh, facial recognition systems being stumped, you know, uh, ghost kitchens or ghost restaurants or whatever they called them. The 15-minute walk, right? So that you, my dear slave, will not be allowed to walk any more than 15 minutes away from your current residence. And it will all be there for you so convenient. A convenient imposition, once again, coming from the World Economic Forum. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So according to a 2019 article from MIT Technology Review, uh, it stated that the Pentagon had already developed a Jetson prototype of a machine that can detect the unique cardiac, uh, cardiac signature from 200 meters away, even through clothes. So the Pentagon's already done this as of 2019. They have a machine that can detect your heartbeat, and apparently your heartbeat is as unique as your thumbprint, as is your your face. Uh, so, I mean, as is other places on your body that I've heard about. Anyways, um, NASA developed heartbeat ID uh, claims to be a new biometric technique to verify someone's identity. It can be used in everything from replacing an individual's PC password to access a bank account. 
the Klaus Schwab run organization went on to predict that instead of commuting to work, people will gather in communal neighborhood hubs equipped with gyms, bars, and art galleries that would be no more than 15 minutes walk from home. Ghost kitchens would supply people with their restaurant fix delivered to your homes rather than eating out. I mean, to them, this is a utopia. Uh, to me, this is a disaster, you know. Responding to the World Economic Forum, an author by the name of Laura Dodsworth said, this is how our lives could look like if technocratic dystopianists or utopianists decide what's best for us. Why would I want to be recognized by my heartbeat? Why would I want my body to be surveilled by a laser? Uh, now, the co-founder of the Mozilla Foxfire uh, company, his name is Brendan Eich. He said... Never let a good crisis go to waste. The, the cheery Muzak lulls you into staying within 15 minutes walk of your pod and eating the ghost kitchen prepared bugs. I don't want to be ID'd by my heartbeat just to ease the task for Big Brother's AI flummoxed by the forever, ma forever mask it mandated. Okay. Yeah, Big Brother mandated that mask and now they can't do anything about facial recognition. It's insane stuff. The Davos-based group has been at the forefront of the idea of a great reset with its founder and executive chairman, Klaus Schwab, declaring last year that the Chinese virus would give the world leaders an opportunity to introduce a great reset of capitalism. It's a great idea. And when we get there, and we will. <laughs> Who is that? Anyways. Oh, my goodness. And, and yes, of all people who agrees with this, French President Macron, the cabron. <laughs> Macron, the cabron. <clears throat> Anyways, Macron, the cabron, totally agrees with Klaus Schwab, totally thinks that uh, we should shoot lasers at people's hearts to figure out who they are. Um, Macron, the cabron. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, Macron, the cabron. Some of you guys might know what I'm talking about. All right. And on that note, we're going to close up tonight's uh, show on France. We're going to close up tonight's show on France because we were talking about the vaccine passports in Canada. And uh, we were chatting with you guys in the uh, chat room there about, uh, you know, Canada and France and, and Australia and all these measures uh, that's happening um, over there and uh, talking a little bit about the people and the protests against it. Now, uh, France is, is very famous for their protests. French know how to do it. At least, you know, they have the uh, they have the drive and the endurance to keep on protesting. If you guys remember that yellow vest uh, protest was going on for like, I, I remember when it was about 100 plus weeks in, they were still doing it, you know, 100 plus weeks in. Uh, but but in regards to these health pass rules that are now in their fifth week in the country of France, protesters have begun to march in cities across the country, um, again, for a fifth consecutive week against these rules that are compelling them, that are in, imposing upon them um, to show a COVID-19 health pass to uh, to uh, to. Um, uh, perform daily activities, you know, to participate in daily activities. Now, crowds have rallied through the streets of Paris, Marseille, Nice, Montpellier, and other towns waving placards, you know, that uh, say pass equals apartheid or chanting freedom, freedom, freedom. Uh, since last Monday, citizens have been required to show a pass in public places, proving that they have been vaccinated 
or have recently been tested negative for the coronavirus. Now, after a week of leniency, so they they they're like for a week, you know, you know, people of France, uh, we'll we'll go easy on you just so you can adjust to the you know to the curve here, you know, and what you will be doing or required to do. Um, um, but after that week was over, the government vowed to get tougher on health pass checks and testing, unless prescribed by a doctor. Um, they will no longer be free starting in October. Okay. They will no longer be free in October. The protests have united a disparate group against President Emmanuel Macron de Cabron, um, which is meant to help contain a fourth wave of COVID. That's, what, what the, that's the, the main narrative here. Yeah. yeah, we have this whole, I mean, that's what I said, their timeline got moved up. And they were going to do it this way anyways, uh, you know, but, but, you know, instead of taking five years or four years, you know, that's what President Trump did when he took away the, uh, when he uh, created the vaccines, right? Um, you know, it would have been like year three of coronavirus, the Delta variant attacks. And they would have had all that time to develop it. And they would have had all that time for people who had already gotten the shot for it to start dying and, and mutating and stuff like that. But, you know, their timeline is totally rushed in my opinion, or at least the way I kind of see it. And so, I mean, that's, that is actually a good thing for us that their timeline is sped up so much because now the changes are happening so rapidly fast that we, we see it and we resist it. You know, it's like, we see this opposition and we shall respond with, uh, you know, a just force. So anyways, uh, in, in the country of France, we're seeing this coming together. Now, uh, an interesting to statistic that came out of this actually was, um, that uh, the total number of protesters that participated in uh, on August 7th, right? It was 215,000 people protested, okay? Um, and, and that was after 114,000 protested on the first Saturday. So like I said, the French, they protest. It's a little organized. It's like on Saturdays, if there's a protest to be had, they do it on Saturdays in France. Like the Yellow Jacket protests every Saturday. They showed up every Saturday for like 100 plus weeks. They showed up. So on the first Saturday, uh, they had 114,000 people show up. Uh, then that went to 215,000 people. And now it's at about 237,000 people. Okay. Now, authorities, this was what I thought was interesting. Authorities had initially anticipated that 250,000 demonstrators would have shown up overall throughout the entire time that they're demonstrating. They didn't think it was going to be 200,000 in one week and another 200,000 in another week. Um, they, they were expecting that, uh, it would, that it would not be that high of a number at all uh, in regards to these protests. So... Uh, Oh yeah, there's there. I forgot to show you this. Uh, so Covid pass equals apartheid there in France. Um, now here's that brief video I'm going to share with you guys, and we'll wrap up the show for tonight. And this is about uh, this is about the protests going on in France um, from this this dude here. Let's, let's see what they got to say. Millions of people are turning out to protest across France, including hundreds of thousands right here in Paris. There are three separate demonstrations taking place in this city today. This is the largest one. This fifth protest in a row comes after President Emmanuel Macron's new COVID measures. You are not vaccinated, you will not be able to travel, to take the metro, the bus, even to go to the coffee, to the restaurant, to lose your job. In all of Europe, no country is pushing back as hard 
as the people in France. I'm Ben Swan in Paris. This is Truth in Media. Hey guys, welcome to the show. So an incredible turnout here in Paris. As you can see, once again, there are hundreds of thousands of protesters in the streets pushing back against these mandatory COVID measures. It is happening here unlike in any other place in the world, certainly more so than the United States, where no one seems to be pushing back. Here in France, they're doing just that. And it wasn't just here in Paris, but all across the country of France. Huge protests in Nice, France, in the southern part of the country. Three different protests right here in Paris. This is the largest one. People walking for miles, making their voices heard, and demanding an end to these new health pass restrictions. Even you are going to lose your job. Every citizen have the right to make his own choice. This is why it is uh, a demonstration in all France since a few weeks, and the, the fight uh, will continue uh, until the, the new election in France, because France, who is the symbol of revolution and democracy, is not more any uh, democracy when uh, the citizens have not the choice to be vaccinated or not. This is unacceptable. You can't go into a restaurant, you can't even eat outdoors, you can't go into a museum, and you can't go to school or even work in many cases unless you have either a COVID vaccination or a 48-hour PCR test showing you are negative for COVID or that you have antibodies in your system but not more than six months old. So that is the, the main driver of these protests. People saying they want their freedom. They liberté is, the, is what they're calling for here in France. And they have been calling for it week after week after week. The people have turned out and come to the streets demanding a change and demanding that the president of this country listen to them. Now, listen, if you watch most media, they're going to tell you that uh, the majority of people in polling are for these COVID vaccinations because so many signed up for them when they first became mandatory. But is that really true? And I'll tell you why we ask that question. So many people are turning out in the streets and every single week, more people are showing up here in France to protest than the week prior. But I've talked to several people who have been vaccinated here. And what they have told me is that they did so because their job required it. They actually didn't want to be vaccinated, but they had to do it in order to keep their employment. And that was very disconcerting to them. They said, I wouldn't have taken it had it not been for the government forcing me to do so, essentially unable to keep my job if I didn't. But Macron is defending these restrictions this week, saying this. He calls them democratic, saying, quote, never before in our history was a crisis of such magnitude fought in such a democratic way. The democratic way of cutting off access to people's jobs, to outdoor dining, to going to museums, to even being able to go to work and in some cases travel if they do not have a COVID vaccination. Nobody seems to be buying that. It's why so many people have turned out into the streets here. Problem is uh, Macron is not a even able to walk in the street today. Uh, for sure, friends, uh, is liberté, égalité, fraternité, uh, but that was only on the paper. And we have no more this value in France. It was the best after the goal, uh, this France going down and down. Like so many and people seem to be quiet about it in the US, but they're not quiet here in Paris. They're not quiet in France. They are standing up in a way that other countries are not. 
and the way that the United States has not so far. And guys, I think that is our most important lesson, having gone out across Europe and seen so much of what's going on around the world, that here in France, the people here are willing to stand up in ways that we have not been willing to stand up in the U.S. And the question that I think we leave here with is why? Why is that? What can we learn from the French? What can we take from the people here who believe in seizing back their liberty, not handing it over, not releasing it, but holding on to that liberty? What can we do to change that and to move forward in that way? Guys, thanks for watching. Hey, if you're not seeing our reports from across Europe, please send me a text at the number on your screen, and I will send our reports to you every time that they come out from France. I'll see you back home. All right. So that's a little bit what you got going on over there. No. Exit. What is this? I don't know what that is. Okay. How do you stop that? Stop it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, guys. Sorry about that. Let me just let me just do that. Bam. Okay. There we go. Looks better. Okay. All right, guys. So there you go. That's what you got. People are standing up in France. Like, like I said, like the guy even said, you know, we haven't seen that here in the United States of America. And I honestly, I don't think that we will. It's not time just yet, guys. It, the time is coming. Trust me. The time is coming when something like this will be happening in the United States of America. I do believe, you know, and uh, if, if, you know, if, if people still tend to think that we are a true minority, then just look at President Trump's rallies, guys. Look at President Trump's rallies and then ask yourself if you do not think that people will come out like that. We will come out like that when we have to. Um, when, But it's just, it's not time just yet for that to happen. At least that's the way I see it. I don't, I don't feel like the time has come. So say it, the walrus, you know, uh, for, for that kind of activity to happen. And as we're just getting out there, we're just now getting out there and now we're having our rallies again. And now we're, we're having our assemblies and our conventions, our meetups and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's as evidenced by what we've seen in the past few days, like it's, we are still very much so in false flag season guys. And we have to worry, we're not worry. We have to be mindful, wary. We have to be mindful of that narrative uh, that's trying to be shaped, you know, um, uh, and no matter how that false flag might come, uh, whether that is by an AP, you know, which is, uh, which is a, uh, um, an agent provocateur, uh, controlled opposition, you know, or, or if it's just an outright, you know, like Antifa or some kind of dissident, you know, some kind of other provocateur, like, uh, there's always that possibility to be mindful of, you know, to be mindful of not that we're going to be worried or afraid of it, but we need to be mindful of it so that we are alert with our eyes open and our discernment ready to go in the event something like that should happen. And of course we pray that it doesn't, but uh, you know, that's, that's basically the last, uh, the last resolve that they have. I mean, either they're going to do a false flag or drop a bomb, you know, in order to, to curtail all the momentum that we have as patriots in this movement right now. I mean, you never know, you never know. Uh, speaking of which, like, um, and I'm not going to, maybe we'll, maybe we'll chat a little bit about this tonight during Mr. C in the dark, but like, uh, you know, like talking about the Nuremberg trials guys, like, um, and, and this whole code that is being violated, um, upon the entire world, basically, you know, and, and I've heard from, uh, from some, some people, you know, that, uh, that's, that's a narrative that they want to push. They want the Nuremberg trial narrative to be pushed. Um, and, and I've heard that, uh, once that narrative gets out there, that's a signal for them to do a false flag. But we'll talk more about that tonight, perhaps. Now, 
let me go ahead. Well, actually, first, uh, WC Craynop, thank you for the gold pill can. Uh, Hodges Allison in 1969, Nat Hendy, thanks for tossing in those cans. Uh, much appreciated, the support. Um, and uh, let me release the lotto ticket for you guys as well. All right, and then let me go ahead and verify one more time, at least for tonight. Okay, all right, so uh, tonight it seems, who's this? WC, okay. Tonight, uh, tonight we may have Book Nook with us on at the C Report. I mean the C Report, that's right now. Uh, at Mr. C in the Dark. So uh, if you guys are hanging out and uh, you don't got nowhere to go or nowhere to be, come on over to the C Chats. Uh, we'll be doing the C, uh, Mr. C in the Dark long about midnight in a couple of hours. Um, uh, Book Nook may be with us tonight. Um, so uh, that's something to look forward to. Otherwise, we'll just have some chat. Um, and uh, we'll look forward to that as well. All right, guys. So uh, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, I bid you all a fair Friday evening. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys later. Don't forget, tomorrow we will have Lone Star News as well as the Trump rally, as well as Mr. C in the dark. You're going to see a whole lot of me tomorrow. <laughs> should you choose to. Should you choose to. Should be a fun time either way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but I hope you guys have a great night. Like I said, we'll see you in a couple of hours. Till then, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America.